how did you hear about us in the first instance? We're um, just wondering. I discovered you guys. First off, you're fairly well known in the community. I mean, now I know I don't think we're started the show yet, have we? But no. uh, okay, I'll save my brown nosing for later. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have enjoyed your show. I, I love listening to your show. I love the detail you guys give, and I will talk about this when we start recording. But it's fun to hear another perspective. I mean, there's things you guys have said about certain albums. I go, I gotta go back and listen to that one again. And there's other <laughs> ones I go, yeah, they kind of nailed it. They kind of got exactly what I was thinking. Or you hear a bad edit or something like that. So no, I've been a fan of you guys for a while and. And uh, you guys are one of the big ones I wanted to talk to. And I knew about you, and I started listening to you when I saw... First off, you had great graphics, and that helped. And, and I started listening, and I saw you guys did you know different reviews. And sometimes you do reviews of albums that you wouldn't expect, like the Apollonia 6 album and things like that. But I listened to it anyway to hear what you guys thought. Yeah. Fantastic. You guys are pretty good about being meticulous about this stuff. And because and, each one of you goes through, and you'll argue. Who I agree with changes each episode. So sometimes I'll say, but players really got a point here. And I'm thinking... Boy, that guy should have just called in sick that day because uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's so wrong. Yeah, so so I, I yeah, I do that a lot. Like I said, I, I do. I enjoy your, your podcast. And, and sometimes, like I said, it's more fun to listen to the stuff that most people wouldn't review. Uh, and that that's sort of the fun, too, because I, I just like what you guys have to bring to the table. And there's times you guys say, this is the last time I'll ever listen to this album. <laughs> I guess I want to hear this album again. Or there's other times you guys are really promoting something, saying, this is an album that really should have gotten more notice. And I like that. So, yeah, mm. so I, I, awesome. I appreciate what you guys do. I can't wait till we get to the actual brown nosing. This is going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> Either version, I love both versions. And other special guests. Hi, this is Larry Grant. You're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. This is Mr. Hayes, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast, baby. What's happening, Australia? This is Tony M from the New Power Generation. You're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hey, everybody, this is St. Paul Peterson, and you're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hi, this is Eden Nelson. You're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Peach and Black Podcast. The panel are back again. This time we are talking to Dwayne Tadal, author and collator of a new book, an essential book if you're a Prince fan. It's called Prince and the Purple Rain Era Studio Sessions. 1983 and 1984, we talk with Dwayne himself about the book, his experiences in writing it, and a whole lot of other good stuff, and it's coming up right now. And here is the Peach and Black podcast panel player. It's too early for a Sunday today. Ho Jam. <laughs> the fly on the wall. And Ooh. Captain. It's purple rain. Purple rain. Purple rain. <laughs> <laughs> I'll quickly tell you who I am, Rob S. Purple Dwayne, Mr. Purple Dwayne himself. <laughs> this is the Peach and Black podcast, of course, and uh, you are listening to us plus an extra special guest today, Dwayne Tadal. Let's get into it. Hey, guys. Hey. 
Hello. This is Dwayne. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Really good. Really good. Are we all here? We are all here, which means five of us. Excellent. I hope you're not too intimidated. We've got the entire Peach and Black podcast crew. Oh, geez. Is this, let me see, Captain, Tojam, Player, and Rob? That's, That's it. That's the one. It's MC. Don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's that? His name's MC. He changed it a while back, but we just don't acknowledge that it ever happened. I'll, I'll just, okay, I'll make a joke. <laughs> just call him MC, he loves it. You guys are going to confuse me right away. This sucks. I'm done. Are we over? Well. <laughs> <laughs> Good day, sir. So I guess for our audience, if you could just give us a, a brief uh, snapshot of your background and also of when the process for this book in particular began and how it began. Okay. My background, I have been a Prince fan for, gosh, since, the, since probably Controversy. Um, when it came out, I'm, I'm in real time. So Controversy, I remember liking that. And then when 1999 hit, that was huge. And we listened to that a lot in college. And then Purple Rain came out and that kind of you know, changed everything. But what was happening is that summer with Purple Rain was that was the date movie. And that was the movie you took a, a date to. So it was like, this is fantastic. You know, you've got great music and you've got attractive cast and, and it was a perfect date movie for the summer. So um, I probably saw it five or six times that summer in the theater. But I also really liked the music. And what I liked about his music at the time was it was not only different because it's his own genre. It's not rock. It's not funk. It's a bit of both. And I liked the fact that not only was the stuff on the album good, but you could find the B-sides. And he was like always feeding us a little bit more. You've got Erotic City, you've got 17 Days, you've got God, you've got, you know, God Instrumental, and all these things. And then you all of a sudden, the next spring, you have a new album, and then you also have the song on the uh, We Are The World, and it, it's, there was always something, and every album he was coming out with was sort of an event. And at the time, it was, it was just, you couldn't look away. It was that big. And unfortunately, I didn't have the money at the time to go see the Purple Rain tour, and I wasn't around when there was a oh. tour. I know, I know. So I missed that. And he played, I was in, living in D.C. area at the time, and he played the Capitol Center. And that's where he did one of his videos. And I, I just, it was, I couldn't afford it at the time. And so I actually didn't see him live until Love Sexy. What a shame. T- terrible show to start with. <laughs> I've had internet comments about this. He's not a fan. He saw him after Love Sexy. <laughs> You're right. I, this is qualifies me from everything. But after that, I saw him probably 20 times. I saw him in Ireland and I saw him you know, all over the States. And I saw him, uh, I live in Los Angeles now and he used to play Glam Slam LA and, and we'd go there at, and he wouldn't play till three in the morning on a work night or a school night or something like that. So we were up, you know, waiting for him for the hope of him playing. And the funny thing is you'd go up to the stage and if you, you'd get there about eight or nine and you'd had to stand there because if you move, somebody would take your spot and you'd have to pee or you'd just sit there going, God, I, I, I sure hope he plays. I'm glad I brought an extra bottle. <laughs> We, we've been there. <laughs> yeah, and, and so that happened, and I did that at the, at the same thing at the 3121 in Vegas. And I just I made sure I saw him every time I got the chance after that. Um, and also, I was a big collector back in the 80s and 90s. It would be a time when you'd send people tapes, and you'd, you know, you were collecting even the uh, fifth or sixth generation boot of uh, Black Album. Sorry, we don't know what you're talking about. And I'm the same way. I, I, I was talking about shoes. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. Those fancy boots. High-heeled boots. Exactly. High-heeled boots. Exactly. Um, but I would I would collect you know, any sort of outtake, even if it was the wrong name, you know, Pretty Face or something like that was, you know, the name they had for uh, 
other than one of the songs. It's just you you just got whatever you could, and it was it was a thrill to find those little nuggets, and you'd wait by your mailbox hoping for this thing, and and it's before the internet, and then early on in the internet there was on Sunday nights they'd have a a Prince chat room and in on AOL and stuff like this, and you just it was became a community, and and it grew and grew and grew. And then I liked Housequake. And then what happened is I got involved with the magazine Uptown. And Uptown was um, a Prince magazine back in the 90s, based in Sweden. I've got them all. Yeah, oh yeah, but they're great. I mean, I still use them for references. Yeah. And Pierre Nilsson was the uh, the head guy. And we were writing The Vault. I was uh, helping research the movie with a book called The Vault. And we started talking about, wouldn't it be cool to do a book like the Beatles studio sessions, where they covered every, every date? And we were laughed about it and thought, there's no way that you could do this. And I had gone to Sunset Sound, which is the, where, the uh, place where Prince recorded a lot of stuff in the 80s here in Los Angeles. And I was interviewing the owner and the engineers and stuff. And I said, do they have paper, paperwork on what he did when? And they said, yeah, sure. And they showed me all the work orders he did. And they said, do you want a copy of these? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I realized as they handed it to me, I thought, this is a book. And then I didn't realize this is 10 books. Because it really is, right. it was like 800, 700, 800 papers of what he did on certain days. And sometimes he'd be a little more sly about what he'd write. He'd write down, you know, new song or he'd write Sex Shooter when he was really recording another song. But that's where the investigative work went. And I started interviewing the engineers and the band members and uh, all the people involved. And they started filling in the holes. And I'd go to, you know, I'd talk to Jill Jones and spend time with her or spent time with... Um, Matt Fink or Brown Mark or you know whoever I'd be interviewing these people and it would just grow and grow and then I'd interview Susan Rogers and Peggy McCreary and Coke Johnson and all these other Bill Jackson and all these other engineers and they'd start to fill in things and then I'd go back to somebody and and toward the end when I I you know I, I finished the book probably in March uh, March of 2016 so it was a month before hmm. Prince passed wow. and I was done done with the book and I thought all right, that was 20 some odd years of work. Now I can start to look around. And then he passed away. And I literally thought, do I come out with this book? Because, you know, you don't want to be the guy that's seeming like, look, I got a book, you know, a month afterwards. You don't want to be that guy. And um, And there was a lot. There was a lot of books came out like a few months after that. Yeah, exactly, and and some of them and, and some of them very good. I mean, actually, I, there's several that I really like. The people that did a great job, and but there was always the fear of being the guy that you that that just didn't seem I don't know, it just seemed, didn't seem savory. And so I went back to a lot of these people and said, "What do you think?" And they said, "Well, we know you've been working on this for two decades, so it's not like you're a you know last minute Charlie on this. Let's you know you should do this." And so I, I realized when that happened, a lot more people started talking as well. And people said, you know what, I feel more comfortable now kind of talking. And so I got interviews with people I didn't expect. And that was pretty cool. The, the one down thing is there were a couple of people that said, you know what, now that he's passed, I prefer not to talk about it because it's too personal. And so I, I removed one or two interviews from the book just because they had said, you know what, this is, this is my friend and I don't want to make a statement. And I thought that's fair. That's completely fair. And so I took things out. Nothing groundbreaking, you know, nothing shocking. But uh, that was, you know, I, I wanted to honor the people that were, were good to me. But overall, it, it just it ended up becoming bigger and bigger. And then about a month before I was um, about to publish, I had to deliver to the, to the publisher. I interviewed David uh, Coleman, who was Lisa's brother, who had a big part in the direction of Prince's music. And I had contacted Lisa and said, do you know who I talked to? Because I had to get his 
a state basically to sign off on the fact that he did an interview. And Lisa was real sweet and she said, it sounds like you talked to everybody. Do you want to talk to me? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes. And I'd known Lisa for several years, but I, I didn't, you know, approach her too much about an interview. And so she and I did an interview um, over the email and then Susanna chimed in and Wendy joined in. And so all those, those last interviews came in the last week or so before I sent it to the publisher. Wow. And, cool. and gathering um, those guys. And they had so much great stuff to add. So along the way, it was just like, it just seemed to snowball. More people got involved. More people started talking, and before I knew it, I kind of had most of the revolution, number of members of the time, uh, and then Pierre Nelson came to me and said, I have all these interviews you guys did back with Uptown, and a guy named Alan Freed had done interviews too, so they gave me access to all those, another 75 hours of interviews with like Jelly Bean Johnson and people like that, and I was like, this is great, so I, I included those and talked to those guys and told them, look, I'm doing a book, Do you, are you cool with me using those interviews, and they all said yes. And so, as you guys, I, I don't know how far you guys got in the book, but you see that, you know, Jelly Bean's in there and a lot of the people from the time talking about the time yeah. in a way that hadn't really um, been discussed before. Nice. So, yeah. So, I'm sorry. This is a long, rambling answer. Bottom line is, I've been a fan for years and been working on this for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Over 20 years. So, basically, yeah. you, it sounds like you started this process of traveling to Sunset Sound and having that first conversation with them at some point in the, what, mid-90s, late-90s? Uh, yeah, my first, the first interview I did for this was back in 1994. Wow. That's how long ago I've been working on this. So I, my first was in 1994, and after that was, you know, I, I did several after that, and it just started growing and growing and growing. And um, before I knew it, you know, I, I had, I've, I interviewed about, probably about 50 people. I mean, I had to be vague about that because some people talked off the record, and so it's between 40 and 50, but there was also uh, some people I interviewed for future volumes if I get to do those. So I, don't, I can't really say honestly that it was exactly 50 because maybe two of those, two or three of them, are exclusively for later volumes. Mm-hmm. They gave me information, but they, I didn't quote them in this one. So I, I want to be honest about you know, how many I did talk to, but it was, I'd say, probably about 45 that I used for the book. This wow. book okay. directly. So plus all the other sources. Those are firsthand. Um, there's you know countless others I did through, like I said, through Alan Lee, uh, Alan Freed, and also through um, other uh, published interviews. Okay. Over the last few years, how I mean, you're clearly a hardcore Prince fan yourself. Yes. Were, were you over that twenty year period? Were you always into his work, or did you kind of get on the okay. horse and get off again? Yeah. Here's the thing. I think with anybody as as, um, as diverse as Prince, you know, when it comes to his music, there's going to be things, eras I like and eras I don't. But I always like the fact that each one was different and you never knew. There's times, sometimes I, he'll come out with an album and go, oh, I can't wait. There's always the promise of the new album. And there's sometimes I go, yeah, you know what? I don't really listen to that much. I mean, there's certain albums that I really love and there's certain albums I don't really get into. But I can honestly say I have everything he's put out commercially, um, album-wise. Even, even when I was kind of... You know, I, I have a kid and stuff like this, so you kind of start to focus on other things outside of your music. You don't always have the time to sit there and listen to the the ninety minute rehearsal of Prince doing something where he's, <laughs> you know, where he's basically the same riff for 90, 90 minutes. Mm. You don't have the time to do that anymore. Yeah, especially if you're not going to be the person playing it on stage that night, and it doesn't really matter. Well, make yeah, sense. exactly, and 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 not that I don't enjoy it, but it's just like, okay, I've got you know, you got a kid, you got a puppy, you got a wife, you got a life, you got a job. <laughs> You don't have the luxury of, of when I was younger being able to just kind of put the headphones on and just, you know, kind of veg out and listen to something over and over and over. 
Um, that said, I never got out of him, but I, there were periods that I wasn't as into him. I would always get the things, always listen to him right away, and sometimes it, it'd connect and sometimes not. But that's, I think that's with any artist that goes over time. It, if they didn't grow and didn't mature, it would have been boring. I mean, if he came out with the same album every time, I would be bored with that. So, yeah. Hmm. And what so. was your relationship like with him from a live point of view? Like, was it always the case that princes in my town were going to see him? Or as often as I could, um, I when I my first concert was um, was a Love Sexy show. I didn't wasn't able to didn't couldn't afford to go to the um, Purple Rain show. Um, and so I had to wait till Love Sexy came around. And then I, I, every time I was in town, I went to the shows. There were some I missed. Like I'd be out of town. I was out of town when they did the uh, musicology tour. Um, I used to travel a lot, so I wasn't in town for that. But I went to Vegas to see him at 3121. I went to a, I saw the nude tour in Ireland. Oh, wow. I, I saw um, used to go to the Glam Slam in Los Angeles to see him a lot. I saw him at the Forum several times. I saw him at the Staples Center here in town. So I, I've been around kind of seeing him in different places, saw him in some small nightclubs and things like that. Probably, I guess I saw him about, at the Universal Amphitheater, probably saw him about 20 times overall. Because he'd be in town when he did the uh, the 30 nights or whatever, 20 nights or whatever when in Los Angeles at the Forum. That was fun. I saw him one night play. Uh, Sheila was playing with him. Stevie Wonder played with him. Uh, Janelle Monet was in, on stage with him at the same concert. And you're just going, this is just, who, who can do that? You know who can gather these kind of people? You know, and that's just, it, who does that? And it was Stevie Wonder's birthday. It was the coolest thing because I'm sitting there and we all knew it was Stevie Wonder's birthday. And you hear this cool riff going on. You're not sure what's going on. And all of a sudden, you see this person rise out of the stage, and you realize they're doing superstition. And you're going, oh my! And and it's just, and you realize it's his birthday. You just, you get goosebumps just watching this and you're thinking, this is the coolest thing. That's got that kind of stuff where you just go, this is. I feel bad for the people who haven't gone to see Prince because they missed out on. Really, probably the best performer in my lifetime, easily. Yeah, yeah live. So, so live, I would say I'm one of these geeks who likes to listen to every concert I can because each one's different, you know. And you go, oh, that's when he did the, uh, you know, the breakdown. He stopped. He did 25 hits on that one, you know, or whatever. <laughs> so, you know. 125. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you kind of look as a, as a sort of a, a nerd like this. You, you look forward to this stuff and you look forward to what he does. And, oh, he did the piano and then he played uh, a song that was unreleased at the time. He did, that's when he did Moonbeam Levels. And, you know, you just start, you know, it, you know, you know the community and we just, we geek out on this stuff. And so when you meet up with somebody who has similar tastes, you already are way deep into the conversation by the first time you guys are talking because I can make a reference to Moonbeam Levels and you guys are going, you guys are all shaking your heads going, yep, yep, yep. So, yeah, <laughs> you know. And that's just that's just how we all work. You know, I, I had, uh, I met up with somebody recently and we were talking and, and literally right away we were friends because we had 20 years of doing this, but not together. I'd never talked to him before, but we had 20 years of doing this stuff and, mm. and talking to each other about it. And so, I mean, I, I that's what I love about the Prince community is, is it really is a group of people that really do have the same interests. And, you know, sure, there's going to be some arguing about something. You know, what's the best song? What's the, you know, but I think overall we're all kind of respecting that this guy could be as mysterious and strange and crazy as possible. And we all kind of accepted that. So. Yeah. So just quickly on the live performance and then we'll move on. What was your favorite live performance? Can you put a, a finger on yeah. it and pinpoint? Yeah, I got two, two or three, two or three. The first okay. one is the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, we did uh, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, which is... Now, you you weren't there in the audience though, right? No, 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 no. I know oh, the ones okay. I've seen. Okay, the ones I've seen, probably the Stevie Wonder one. Uh, that would be one of my favorites. Possibly some of the ones at the Glam Slam Los Angeles when he'd be 
uh, doing the Act 1 uh, rehearsals and stuff like that where you'd just be up against the stage watching. When you can see the guy's hands as he's doing this, that kind of stuff. You know, he's, and he, he'll those kind of shows he'd play like um, Papa or something like that that had never been out. And you're sitting there going, I don't know what this is. Or Black MF in the house. And you're going, wait, what is that? <laughs> and you don't know what it's going to be, and you're just, you're, just, you're shouting out the words because <laughs> he's telling you to, and uh, that kind of stuff. So yeah, when you're there, or um, I'm trying to think of other great ones. I don't know. There's just, it's hard to explain all the ones I've seen. I think I've only seen one or two that I didn't like, and that was because of my seats were so bad. It wasn't because <laughs> nothing of him. to do with the show. No, it was really it was my seats, and I blame me for that. The love sexy is probably my favorite tour. As odd as that sounds, because people don't always like that he played partial songs, but I love the, the fact that he did it in the round. And I honestly think that was the last epic tour he did when it comes to big stage performance, whereas a very elaborate stage. I did a lot of stuff after that, but I don't think he ever did that kind of stuff that I saw him do where it was that complex and, and had so many moving parts. Because sometimes you see you just come out with a band and, and do things, but there was... Love Sexy Show was just, you know, over here, Mirko's playing basketball, and, you know, you're just going, wait, what? It's like a circus. Yeah. Like a complete yeah, circus. Yeah, really, it really was. It was Ringling Brothers, and, and, and there's just so I would love to do a documentary about just that tour. Uh, here we go. Let's do it. Let's yeah, do it. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'd want to. I, I make documentaries for a living. So, I'm, you know, my thought is I would love to go back to all the band members and the state and say, look, you guys have these tour, these shows on, on tape. Let's do a five-part thing on Netflix or something like mm. that where we do the entire tour talking about from rehearsals to the final performances in Japan and, and yeah. all the things that happened behind the stage. Because one of the funny – can I tell you one of the funniest things I'd heard to get on stage for some of those shows, there really wasn't a way on stage for Prince. So about 15, 20 minutes before the show would start, they'd put him in a box and wheel him up on stage in some places. Yeah. And that kind of stuff, you're just going, wait, wait, what? Say what now? You know, he <laughs> was in like a box? A, iconic music superstar. Yeah, they, they, they put him in a box. And that, to me, that kind of story, stories like that, to me, make the show that much more powerful because you realize the work that they do and they, they run downstage right below the stage and they're doing a quick change in an area that's you know, not that big. There's just something about all the things that go on with a concert. And I imagine, you know, getting all the people that were on it, talking about it and seeing the different things from different cities and making like the big documentary that they talked about doing would be phenomenal. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. And I, don't worry. If that happens, I'll get on your show again and start yeah. talking about that. For sure. We can just keep yeah. doing it. And sorry, yeah, exactly. I cut you off before. When I was talking about live performances, you, you started talking about Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And it, so it yeah. sounds like you've got like a top two or top three overall I I would say, one. yeah, that certain things. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to me is is, is about as good as, as – whenever I want to explain to somebody how good Prince was is I show them that. And I think the performance would have been novel without Prince there. Oh, great. They're playing you know, playing While My Guitar Gently Weeps as a tribute. Okay, but then Prince comes out and you're going, oh, oh, oh. And, he, you know, at the end he throws the guitar in the air. It magically doesn't seem to come down. Yeah. And he, he struts off stage. And I'm not going to bow. I'm not going to do anything – I'm just strutting off stage, and you're thinking, he left Tom Petty and all these guys on stage. You, 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 I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. And you accept it. You go, like, oh, that's Prince. That's, that's him. But there's something about his solo making the faces. He just has fun with his hands on the frets and just, ah, oh, that kind of stuff. When I see that, I love um, the Sign of the Times version of uh, I Could Never Take the Place of Your Man when he does the solo in that. Um, hmm. I get goosebumps every time I hear that one. He just seems to have... There's a joy to his his things. I love the um, 
what's shoot what's the one uh, nightclub thing where he did rave and he did just my imagination and stuff like that um i'm sure you've all heard a tape of that uh, one. small club yeah small club yeah that's uh, there's that's great you know i mean i can yeah. ima- i would love to have been there so yeah, yeah. I, I think that he just i liked it when he was able to kind of let loose and the after shows to me are those kind of things where he could just kind of go you know what, uh, I'm going to do what I want to do and we're going to have fun. And if I do a cover of a Stones song or if I do a cover of, a, you know, whatever, you just, you're like, okay, he's going to do Sly or whatever. And, and, and with no fear of failure, he's like, oh, let me run into a wall, I'll do it. You know, <laughs> and you just, there was something that was more honest about that because it wasn't the rehearsed, uh, you know, lit and, and, and timed out show that he was doing earlier that night. And there's mm-hmm. just, and also you, the other thing I love about him is that he kind of lived music. He was that guy. And he, I think everybody around him that was close to him had to understand that you spoke to him in music. And if you couldn't speak to him in that level, there was a, 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 something missing in the communication. And I think that, that was, he was a guy that kind of always, music was the way he conversed with people. And maybe that was to keep him from being too shy around somebody. I don't know. But you, you see how he came alive when he'd be playing. And yeah. It's hard to explain to people until they actually see it. And if they really watch the stuff, they see that this is when he really liked it. And you, you see that joy and that happiness in his face yeah. when you do that. And and you could see also when he was not happy. But there was times when you watched him play and you thought, you're doing exactly what you should be doing right now, right here. Even more so in person, right? Like seeing, seeing okay. a, a video is one thing. But um, when you think about your own experiences as a fan, seeing yeah. him live in the flesh, it, that, that's almost... Uh, it, unexplainable I'll I'll give you a great example of that Um, I went to see The Tonight Show when he did um, Everlasting Now and it was great and I was in the audience for that and it was like I I, and I have to admit Rainbow Children is not my favorite album but live it's a great album the things they did with it live, and when I saw Everlasting Now doing it, because like everybody jump up and down, and I'm I'm hopping up and down like an idiot, and the whole crowd is doing it, and I was like, this is great, and I told my wife, you gotta watch this, this is so good, and we turned on the TV and watched it that night, it was like, yeah, it's okay, and I'm like, yeah, you're right, it it it, it, it wasn't, there's an energy in the room and the time of the day, and just there's an electricity that doesn't always translate to to tape and to video and things like that you know and and so i think that the people that never got to see him will never understand the power that he had they'll hear it they'll respect it but there's a shared community at a concert that few performers have bruce springsteen probably has that and there's some others but few have this way of not only understanding the audience but bringing them aboard and making you feel part of this yeah and and i I think that's gonna be missed and I've seen, yeah. I've seen the Revolution play without him, and they're very good. But you know, there's there's a this thing that he had, and that's why he every band he had had something good to it because he was always the one conducting it. He was the one saying, "Look, I'm the guy, and you follow this." And you know, everybody contributes, but he's the center no matter what. And I think that it's uh, it's tough without him. I think everybody, and and also you don't realize that not just live. You think about in in life. You think about, you know, I can't listen to his music without listening to it through the prism of him not being here. Hmm. And I hear things in lyrics that I never heard before. Or I hear references to death or passing or all these things because I, I never noticed them because, you know, it wasn't an issue. But now that he's gone, you're, you're, you're reading into things and singing. You're focusing now on what he did as opposed to what he was going to do. Hmm. And, and so it's kind of changed everything but i also think that the crazy thing about him passing is it's sort of brought the community together in a way that is pretty nice you know i think there's a a family more because we all kind of have gone through this together and 
unexpectedly, and, and none of us saw this coming. The community was always strong, but you're right. It's it seems like everyone's clinging to each other yeah. with, a, with a different sort of energy now because right. it's you, you realize that you know he's he's not here in the physical sense, but we as fans and as admirers of his work and you as an author need to continue it. So that legacy. Hmm. Yeah, and this is something I, I, I really started thinking about. Two things that, that come to mind is, first off, there was this, the hardest thing for me to do when I wrote the book was, because I finished it, like I said, in March of 2016, a month before he passed, going through the book, and it's a 500-page book, so it's a big book, and having to change every reference to Prince is to Prince was hmm. was very tough for me because that's I, I actually felt like I had to acknowledge that I don't even like to say he died I, I generally say he passed or he's not with us or whatever there's something that's so final and having to say he was and I didn't change anybody's quotes because the quotes were done before he passed see there I did it again but I went through and changed all my paragraphs where I said Prince is the most blah blah and it was to Prince was and that was that was tough and and I think that the other thing that is 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 tricky for me is to us, we're all big fans. I didn't work with Prince. You didn't know Prince. So he's this guy like Elvis or something like that that's just out there. And we respect him. We enjoy him. But the people I interviewed were all friends or family or lovers or partners or bandmates, employees, you know, coworkers. They knew him on a daily basis and they, they loved him and loved him like you love your friends, loved him like you love your family. And so to them, the loss is, is not just the way we see it. The loss is deeper. And I think that they are trying to respect that as much as possible and, and honor this and and so when books like this come about for the most part they see that what people are trying to do is have the truth and we're all trying to put together our little piece of of what he was because we want the next generation to understand not only was this guy a musician and and, and crazy and nutty but he was important and he was vital and he changed things in a way that most people don't quite get and the next generation doesn't quite understand prince like we do and doesn't I'll, I'll mention prince and to a lot of younger people that's like that's like an older person mentioning bob dylan to me yeah i know who he is i knew some of the songs and and that's it but i'm like going i don't understand and people say no bob dylan was really important i'm like okay that's great but i'm kind of the same with prince going well this guy was really important and they'll say why i had a guy say to me one time that kanye was as important as prince and i'm like no, 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 no! You you don't you don't get it. No, yeah, yeah, that's not how it works. Yeah. So that kind of stuff, you just you, I think it's up to us, and you guys are doing a great job of this, is making sure people understand the next generation that this guy deserves our attention. Just because he's not here doesn't mean we shouldn't be pushing what he did because he was on the cutting edge of music, of fashion, of live, of of distributing music. Of, of you name it pretty much of technology he was on the cutting edge of a lot of this stuff tip of the spear when it came to this stuff mm. and and you you realize that the loss of him is not only the loss of of what he was but what he was going to be and the way he was changing the industry when it came to sale of music ownership of music licensing of music and and i think that nobody had the clout to be able to say i'm going to do a hit and run tour every time you know, and say, I'm going to get to the city, I'll call some radio stations, and that night we'll do a show at this event. Yeah, you know, and, the balls, be- and the balls to do it, to have the, the guts yeah. to do yeah. and, and, and to be able to say that, you, you don't, nobody does that. Hmm. And, and yet he would do that constantly to the, you know, frustration of all of us. 
<laughs> you know, because there's times you're going, well, do I make plans or do I not make plans? <laughs> yeah, or do I make a yeah. left or do I make a right here? Like, where is this bloody after show? Like, you know, yeah, are we going to oh, get I, in? Yeah, <laughs> no, we did. Oh, oh, we had many times in the winter because he toured in the winter a lot and we'd be standing out in freezing cold and you don't want to take your jacket into the nightclub because then you got to carry your jacket all night. And so you're standing out there with your, you know, your shirt, and you're just thinking, I gotta get inside soon. And it, 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 he put us through the ringer, but we went, and we went along, and and he'd do left turns on his career, and all of a sudden he'd come out with, you know, parade, which is nothing like around the world well, today, which is nothing like Purple Rain, which is very little like 1999, which is very little like controversy. And each time you're going, That's oh, it. and then Sign of the Times comes after all those, and you're going, okay, and then Love Sexy, and you're going, wait, wait, yeah. whoa, and each this time you do it, this can't possibly tour. be the same guy. Right, and each tour would be different, and each tour had different people. You know, the Purple Rain tour, Parade tour, Sign of the Times tour, and Love Sexy tour all had different people in them. They had crossovers. Matt Fink was in all those, but, you know, you had some crossovers, but you had different people coming up at each one in different ways. And you thought, and a completely different stage set, different set, different way of, of doing the songs, and you thought, how do, and this is in four or five consecutive years. How do you do that? You know, <laughs> And and you know promoting an album that you came out that it was that, that's different and it just the reason why I wrote a book was when you start learning some of these stories you think how can I not write a book hmm. this guy has so much things to say and so much things to do we need to honor him and not just this but other projects and and find ways to support when when Warner Brothers or the family decides to put out a collection that that we think is worthy yeah you know, when you talk about legacy there's so many different ways of continuing the legacy but one of them is to tell the story the story of the book so going back to you know this particular book that you've put together which is a mammoth piece of work and thank you and again 20 years worth of writing time research effort yeah and i guess connection with this because this was a project before it became a book right so this was your personal yeah it's funny because for a long time my um i just was doing it and my wife finally said to me are you gonna make a book or not you know crap or get off the pot (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, uh, well, that's a nice way to put it. And so I thought, yeah. And so I had a period of time. I was doing it for several years after that. And then the beginning of 2016, I had a few weeks between jobs. I do freelance work. And she said, tell you what, for the next six weeks, your nose to the computer. I want, you know, you get you get this thing done. And so I did. And I spent all of late January, early February, and beginning of March of 2016 just finishing it, just getting it to the point where it could it. You know, could, I could show people, find a publisher. And so, yeah, I've been living with this for years. And so when he passed, it was, and see, I did it again. I felt like I was, I felt like I knew him, even though I don't. I felt more connected to him because of all the things I was uncovering and people talking about their relationship with him and the funny joke behind a song or where a line came from and, you know, all those kind of things. And so, you know, it hit us all pretty hard. Mm. But I felt bad because I ended up reaching out to all the people I interviewed and saying, what do you think I should do? Because I didn't want, I didn't, I, like I said, I didn't want to be the guy that seemed like an opportunist. Yeah. And I, I didn't want to be that person. And, and it's a tough one. Because the community is very protective of Prince as well, as you know. I think that's a problem, like, a few people had was, like, a bunch of books came out after he died. And usually, yeah, the first instinct from the Prince community is like, oh, he's just taking advantage. But a lot of these people have been writing, you know, right. preparing their book for a long time. It just happened to be coming out, you know, in April or May. That's just bad timing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Maite had written her, her life with Prince years before, you know. Right, in, in and she talked him. about it beforehand. She, she was talking about this before he passed. So, and her book's really good. I don't know if you've read it, but it's, it's a good book. Uh, Alex Hahn 
uh, was working on his book before, um, and he'd already written a book um, mm. before Prince passed. And then, then he started talking about it, and some people were very upset with him. And I thought, well, you know what? I know him. I've known him for years, and I can tell you he was working on that beforehand and, and was somewhat meticulous about making sure that he got the things right because he'd been talking to me before Prince passed about doing this. It just seemed, and people even got mad at the revolution when they said we want to come out and play. <laughs> yeah. why, why are you getting mad at them? Someone's always, out. there's always someone. There's always someone. Yeah. That people are always angry. They're just looking for something to be angry at. Yeah, I know. And that's, and that's unfortunate. There's always going to, and I know there's going to be people that read my book and there's going to be, I'm telling you right now, there's going to be some mistakes in it. It's a 500 page book. I may have timings of something wrong. I may have a release date incorrect. Okay. That's the way it's going to be. I, I you know, it's not going to be flawless. And I, I just hope people don't tear it apart because of, you know, a transposed number or mm. something like that. But I think I think that, you know, the cool thing to me in, in doing this is being able to not only list the days, but the time of day he was working on certain songs. That's fun to me. I you know, I looked up my birthday right away and I was like, Oh, he's doing that song on my birthday and that kinda of, that mm. you know, there's something fun about that. And seeing how they did it in order. I mean, when you start listening to a song and going and you realize in uh uh shoot was it? Uh, I think Chlorine Bacon skin he mentions the jungle. Mm. And he says, you know, and it's like, wait, he had just recorded Jungle Love a day or two before that. And you go, oh, or, you know, he starts doing God and you realize, oh, he there's references to there and the, to the dance electric and things like that. And you're going, oh, all these things are kind of interconnected and you see a, a, a progression. And I think it'd be kind of fun to take the music now that you can see the order he did it in and put that on, on CD and listen to that in your car, you know. Mm. I mean, that'd be kind of fun, you know, just that to kind of hear idea. how his music progressed. And, and yeah, he'd go back to things, strange relationship. He went back to for years and never, you know, until he came out with it on Sign of the Times. But it's fun to kind of hear where things came from and where references came from and, you know, phrases that he used in certain songs. He uses a phrase from We Can Funk, and he used that same phrase in another song in, in uh, Erotic City. And you're going, oh, I see the, the pattern. I see mm, him... Yeah you know inspiring himself he did that a lot like we notice that when we're like doing album reviews like you yeah not usually me but the others will listen to lyrics of a song and you'll hear like a phrase and then you'll be like but he said that in another song and he said that there's all these little things that just run right through everything and when you hear them fun. you're like oh yeah I, and i think that that there's like um i'm a big fan of the time I, I pretty much i love the time i think the time is his my favorite side well Madhouse and the Time are probably my favorite side projects for, for Prince. But the reason why I love the Time so much is he gave them a chance to mature and grow and develop. And I think he saw that that was a mistake because they got out of control. Mm. And he never he never really did that again from what I remember. He may have. I don't remember him ever giving that much space to um, develop a personality. Because a lot of things that he did were just variations of him. And I think he could have done that with a family if they had continued. But, you know, they did one show. And so that was unfortunate. Because um, I, I love the family album. The family, But it's one album. Whereas The Time, you know, you've got four really pretty strong albums. And then you even got, you know, if you listen to the original Seven album, that's a great album too. And that had no prints. But these guys had developed by that point that they, you know, they were that good. The fun thing to me is going through and realizing, oh, he did three songs in one day that he did, that he played that you know that Maitre D character and mm. that he does play in some of the and that was all done in one weekend and you're like mm. oh okay well he was kind of goofing off that weekend with these guys and and you hear the humor of how he got along with Morris or how he got along with Jesse and 
that I think is conveyed in their music. Time was fun, and I hope that the book kind of explains what went on between the two, because he got very frustrated because he made his own competition, and it became yeah. a little incestuous, <laughs> you know. And, and how, how so, crazy is that? I mean, I don't yeah. think Vanity or Apollonia was going to give him competition, but mm. the time, you know, you get them on stage and they'll kick your ass. <laughs> yeah, you're risking being shown up. Yeah. Exactly, they'll kick your ass. Yeah. And they did at times. And I think, to me, even if you got the thread of that, that's going to make you better. Mm. You know, that's makes, that's going to makes increase. everyone better. Hmm. Oh yeah, everybody. Uh, uh, Monty Moyer said something that's in the book that I still he I didn't say it to me, but I I found this quote by him and I thought this explains it perfectly. Prince had the ability when he got on stage to raise the stage about a foot. The stage just magically rose a foot for him because of his talent and skills and the things he brought to it. And I never heard it phrased like that, but that's exactly what it is. Is But when you had the time coming before you, kicking your ass, you had to perform. Because if you didn't, they'd go, it's Prince's house, but you know his house guests kind of took over. That's one of the reasons I think that the... Um, the time to me was just, you know, so powerful. And so this is sort of the story of them as well in the book. I don't know how far I, I, you guys got in the book. Yeah, and there's a lot of, I was going to say, we don't want to reveal too much for people that haven't read it because that's the whole the whole pleasure yeah. and the surprise yeah. and the impact is when you read it. But there is so much in there around the relationship, the dynamics between the, the various people in the various bands, at especially at that early stage, you know, of, of yeah. early to, to mid-83, let's say which is really, really intriguing, especially when you put it in the context of what comes afterwards, which, again, is in the book, so we don't want to reveal too much. Okay. But the one thing I will say just quickly is I didn't really know what to expect in detail. I had a general idea of what it was going to be like, but when I was going through it, it just reads as a story. It's just a story, in from my view, it, it's a story form of this guy's life. It's not just, as you said earlier, here's a date, here's what he did next. Right. I mean... All the information is there, but in addition to that, you've got so much more that contextualizes. And actually, it was crazy because it recontextualized certain things for me that I had never even thought of. So when you talk about keeping the legacy going, I think what this sort of book does, it, it strengthens his legacy. It, Thank it, you. And it, and it also, I think, widens it because you, you get to peer behind the curtain, but it's not like a, a warts and all. You know, it's not about his love life no. necessarily it's not no, it's just I, about his creativity and his right. creation which is really really incredible as you as you and, flip and through the pages something i wanted to make sure i, I you know I, I tried to keep from being too salacious um there's times that he's in a romantic relationship that that's part of the storyline for a song but i tried to make it so that it wasn't him just you know about threesomes and stuff like that that's not the type of book it is it's a book about his music his inspirations for the music that basically it is the who, the what, and the when, and at, talking to the people adds the why. The, these people telling why he did this. And there's something fascinating about talking to the engineers. And I think engineers have been somewhat the ignored people of Prince's legacy. And I hope that changes soon because these are the people that are there a half an hour before Prince gets there. They're there the entire shift, and they're there a half an hour after he leaves to clean up. So band members may come and go. Singers may come in for an hour or two. Managers aren't there for that stuff. They're doing other stuff. But the engineers spend... 17, 18, 19, 20 hours a day with him, sometimes weeks in a row. Wow. And you realize, it's funny because Peggy McCreary, Peggy Mack, had a quote in there. She said, people don't understand how boring that can be. And I'm thinking, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> You're in this room with Prince. 
boring. And she's like, yeah, you know, it's not like a live show or anything like that. Sometimes you just, you know. And I'm like, oh, my God. Imagine being around him that much that you're bored. Hmm. That's, <laughs> that's crazy. So the idea that these people know him that well and they know how he is they know his moods are and they they can tell i remember that day because he was angry or i remember that day because he gave jerome crap or i remember that day because he gave (laughs) jesse crap and and you you hear that stuff or or one of the fun things to me is that he kept a list of women that would sing on the songs and it was up to the engineer to contact these women but not they couldn't let any of them know that the other one was just in so <laughs> Sheila would come in for a couple hours, then she'd leave, then she'd get to call the ne- the engineer would call the next person, Susanna, and Susanna would come in, and you know, and and it was like you couldn't have crossover, but they were all adding to the song, but he didn't want to have each one knowing, and I, th- I think that's kind of fun also knowing this guy had a, a range of people around him, and you hear the stories from people like Jill Jones and like Susanna and and Brenda Bennett, talking about things that hadn't really been talked about before in a way that explains why the guy he's an artist why the guy did his art and and you know as an artist he could be moody he could be temperamental he could be short-tempered and he could be very focused and when you hear people talking about what his focus there was a great story about him having somebody who he wanted somebody to play the harp (laughs) so he had somebody he got somebody found him they came by at midnight started playing the harp and he it wasn't hitting and he had to tell him you ain't doing it, lady. You know, he's like, you know, at two in the morning telling this kind old woman that, you know, your harp is not, it's not working for me. And those kind of things you go, oh, now I hear that harp on the song. To me, what this book does is, like you said, recontextualizes it. And that's a great word for it. I haven't used that because it gives you a chance to kind of hear his music again for the first time. And after his hmm. passing, I want that. I want a way to hear his music with new you knew ears on this because I can't hear his music without thinking about him passing to now bring life back into his music and to know what he was I can't say what he was thinking because I can't say what he you know a person but to know what he was doing and know who was there and know why things were done makes the music fresh to me again because it, it there's a veil over his music in many ways and, yeah. and I think that this kind of I'm hoping does a little bit to take away the veil and make it so that you can hear some of the things that he intended again. And because you know, we're all still missing. There's a part in all of us that are that, that are missing him. And and I think it's why I enjoy listening to rehearsals because he's there and I can hear him and he's alive and he's important and mm. vital. And that's what this is to me. It's a way of expressing this is what the guy did and this is what he did with his friends. And that to me is kind of fun. Okay, MC, believe it or not, we've got some questions too. What? Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to ask, um, have you always been kind of a discographical nutter? Like, I know that... Because, <laughs> because, um, nutter, I know, like, yes. What, the first um. artist I really started getting into was, was Miles Davis. This is in, like, in the 90s. And, you know, by okay. then he'd already passed. And I just, sure, just started sure. coming across these books. I think the first one I bought, like, a, a biography book. And at the end, it had, like, a, a little 10-page, like, discography thing where it has, oh, sure. and, and on this date he did this, and on this date and this, this. And it just, like, I remember it blew my mind. I was probably, like, 16 yeah. or 17 at the time. And I started my own little, like, uh, Excel sheet. I'm like, oh, I'm going to start sure. adding to this based on this information I got from another book. And I'm going to start adding it to it. And it became this massive, like, Excel document. And um, right. I, I think it takes, a, like, a kind of person to just get obsessed with these kind of, like, 
details of like sure and i remember like trying to explain it to people and they're like does it really matter, matter. whether he played a flugelhorn or a trumpet on in 1952 does it really matter <laughs> you know but no to you it means like so much and and do you think oh, yeah do you think it takes a certain kind of person to really get really invested in that in those kind of details yes person that has no life <laughs> helps. I have a life. What are you talking about? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. Uh, no, I, um, absolutely. I think that the reason why you did it is because it was important to you, and it, it meant a lot to you. And I've done that a little bit with. I'm a big fan of Elvis, so I read a book about him in the studio, and I thought this is great. And then a, a person came out with a three book series that's like 300 bucks about what he did in the series, and I said, of course I've got to read that. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a book about. Um, uh, Jimi Hendrix and, uh, and Eric Clapton and the Monkees, you know, all their studio stuff. And, and yeah, and the Beatles. And I, I just, I'm the same way. When the, I, I went through some of my collections for the Beatles or for the Monkees, and I logged them by date mm-hmm. in my uh, iTunes so that I could go, ah, what's the order that these came in? I can listen to this in order. And there was a new joy of hearing things in a different order was kind of, yeah. it, it gave perspective on it too. So I get it. When you get a box set and like the Miles Davis or, you know, something like that, and you're, you're looking at some of the stuff and you're thinking, I want to put these in order because I know this song actually came from this album exactly. earlier. Yeah. And you start to notice like, cert, you know, certain songs come from certain sessions and you start to realize the sound of that session. And you think, oh, it all, it all starts to make more sense. And Yeah. I did that with Led Zeppelin. I went back on uh, House of the Holy and I went, wait a second, this has got a song called House of the Holy on it, uh, but it's on physical graffiti. So I went yeah. back and, and put that in context on the back when I had cassettes. And I felt like I was an exclusive club of people that knew. You know, I was like, look at me. I know this stuff. And, and, and it was kind of fun to me. And, and then when somebody comes out with a, uh, like I said, box set or a, a deluxe set that has the demos or something, I like putting those in context and, and hearing mm-hmm. how they changed. So, yeah, I, I, it, it, I kind of always done this to a certain extent. Not like this. Mm. <laughs> this, is, this is, you know, this is half my life. So uh, yeah, it's one of these things. And when you write in a, you write, you're writing in a vacuum, and 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 you don't know what people are gonna think, and you're hoping, you know, you're you're in labor for twenty years doing this, and you're <laughs> just hoping your baby's not ugly. <laughs> the baby comes out. It came out just fine. <laughs> uh, well, and that's but that's the thing you you don't know. Uh, my wife had not read it until it was done, and I was like, and she's a fan, but not like us. You know, she's like, oh, well, I like that song, but. You know, she's gone to some concerts with me and, and stuff, but she's not like. And she read it, and she was like, "I would read this book even if it I wasn't, a, you know." Because she said, "There's a compelling story about this guy going from a cult star to the biggest star on the planet, and it's told. It happens to be told through the studio sessions, but those are just place markers for his life and his career and, and the context mm-hmm. of his career and, and all the events of his life." And you start seeing, oh, this is the last show he did with Dez. Okay, this is the first show he did with Wendy. Okay, and you start seeing how these things fall into place and why. And you start putting, you know, it into perspective. And yeah, so I, I totally get that. And I make, do- like I said, I make documentaries for a living. So my job is to find the connections when you're doing the stuff. And I edit TV shows and, and movies. So you're looking for the things that, that are linking elements. I'll give you a great example. There's a, um, uh, She's Always in My Hair which is a great song, on the uh, work order. And I'll be talking about this probably as the book comes out more. But on the work order, it said Sex Shooter. And I was like, that's weird that he would put Sex Shooter on the work order. And I realized there is a riff in She's Always in My Hair that is the same riff as Sex Shooter, just slowed down slightly. Mm. And I didn't understand that until the context of seeing him writing Sex Shooter. And I realized, 
Oh, it, it's it's just taking that riff, slowing it down, changing the pitch just a, a little bit, and it becomes the uh, recognizable riff in "She's Always in My Hair." Wow! And and I'd never never heard that before. Which makes you wonder if if the original recording was supposed to be like a, a remix or something of Sex Shooter, and it just became a new song, and then he just got distracted. <laughs> yeah, that's always possible too. And the, the thing is, he goes in the studio or did go in the studio. And not always know what he was going to do. Sometimes he'd just go out there and play the piano for an hour looking for something, and somebody would say, nope, nothing, going, I'm going to a movie. Or sometimes he'd come up with something brilliant. Or sometimes he'd come up with something like uh, uh, Katrina's Paper Dolls. You know, yeah. and, and you're like, oh, okay, well, you know. And, and, and that day, that was important, but it was like, you know, in the context of his career, like, okay, well, that's not, you know, one of, the, one of his stellar, you know, things. And that came right after he did, you know, When Doves Cry. So thinking god this guy could do that and then within a month or two do that one he's he had such a range of <laughs> but he just had to record and i think that sometimes he'd be his own muse and come up with his own riff and take the drums off of one song or take the bass off another song and all of a sudden that become a new song well that, that's pretty cool and then when he, when i heard she's always in my hair and i heard that riff and it occurred to me and it's, i think somebody pointed out to me i was like oh my god that is it, it's uncanny <laughs> and so i i, I think I'm, I, I'm thinking about putting together like little one minute things about the book and and that's gonna be one of them to to talk about because i just think that there's something about that that's a fascinating thing to me so, we're gonna have to go yeah. back and listen to that now we're gonna well <laughs> i think all of I us are going wait a second the question i've got is how did you feel the day the moment when you went back to the studios and asked them did they have these like daily run sheets how did you feel when they're like here they are do you want them that would have been like the biggest insane moment, I think. Yeah, it's the thing I thought of is how do I do this quickly so they don't come in and say, you know what, now that I think about it, <laughs> no. <laughs> so they let me Xerox the things. And what they said was, you know, there's certain pieces of information we don't want out there. And uh-huh. I thought that's fair. You're, you know, you're absolutely, you know, fine. It's, it's your document. Um, I honored that. Again, if I made a promise to somebody or somebody asked me to, to withhold or, and it wasn't much, but if somebody said, you know, on a professional level, can you not say this? Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm not doing anything to hurt anybody, or I want to ex- you know talk about his 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 um his legacy. I want to extend his legacy. I don't want anybody to be going ah you know uh, I wish you wouldn't have said that. So when they gave me these things and I sat there xeroxing it for like two or three hours, the cool thing to me is I started thinking, Prince held this document. That's his signature. Yep. He had to sign this and fill this out seven hundred times. He did this. Hmm. <laughs> Thought. This is it arranged from uh, August of 81 to 88 or 89 of work he did there. And that, that's everything that was recorded during that time because this was before Paisley Park, which came in in uh, 87. And he did, you know, little little things here and there when he's on tour. But for the most part, most of the things he recorded were done there. Well, that's, you know, that's historic. And so, yeah, when I got that, I literally thought they're going to come in here any minute and say, wait, wait, what did we just do? What did he, That guy didn't have a... <laughs> permission to give that to you get out you know and so you're trying to get it as quickly and then i went back see, to like L- londell's and, face peeking through your window going bring those back well yeah well there's always that you know and 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 back then you know prince was somewhat litigious and you're always thinking okay but i went back to the uh to sunset sound several times they were great to me by the way they the i can't say enough amazing things i don't think anybody could go in there now and ask because they'd, they'd say they've done that uh so don't try that mm-hmm. but they were really open to me and very nice, and they saw what I was doing, and, and they, they helped me find some of the engineers. And um, So I spent a little time there, and I got to take pictures there, and I've visited there many times. But when the book was done, I contacted them again and said, do I have permission to print these things to show them in the book? And I want to put it on the cover. 
and they said yeah and they gave these fill out the release thing that suggests you can you can print these and i thought that's pretty cool because to me part of the fun is seeing this document and you even see on the cover of the book it has you know a, a work mm. order from purple rain and his signature and you're thinking he's the client yeah. and that's you know and that that's there's something about knowing that he filled this out that's his signature this is the guy who didn't sign things this is his <laughs> signature and 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 that's where the geek in me goes nuts and that's where the you know yeah so it's amazing to me that they even like kept those things for that long i mean you're talking from 81 and it's so many years later yeah but i did this back in i probably got these back in 1995 four or five so this was only 10 years after Hmm. you know so he actually went back and recorded there later afterwards too several years after that in the 90s but uh, he did Crimson and Clover there and a few other songs that Interesting. Uh, later. It's a shame that I, my guess is that, you know, at Paisley Park, this kind of information just isn't there because there's no need for them to fill out a, like a client order. Well, here's the, here's the trick is there is a need because the engineers have to be paid. Yeah, okay. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. All these things are documented in some form. Now, granted, it may have been later, and I, I've seen some of the Paisley Park uh, work orders, and they're even more detailed because... They kind of had to be. It'd be like mm. Studio A, we're recording Miko on, you know, this. And, and so there's even more detail. I don't have all those. And what I'm hoping is that a book like this, that the estate or that Warner Brothers will see the value in this mm. and think that this is something that could, pursue, you know, could push his legacy to a bigger, bigger place. And if I have a small part in that, would be great. I, w- I would love to be able to say to Warner Brothers or to the estate, I would like to do more books. Um, and I'd like to work with you on this and see what I could do and see if I, you know, the great thing is, is uh, and the big controversy is a lot of his music has been now shipped to Los Angeles mm. to be in Iron Mountain. And you guys have read all that stuff and people uh, are yeah. either happy or upset. Mm. I don't think it's a terrible idea. I get it. There's nothing they could do with it at Paisley Park and it needs to be cared for. It should be for legacy. But I understand it. it's, it's a matter of um, preservation. So I understand why they did it. You know, there's a romantic side to me that said, oh, his stuff should be still at Paisley. But if they're not doing anything and can't do anything with it there, it really needs to be gone. It needs to be taken care of before something happens to it, my mm-hmm. thought. But imagine being the curator of something like that. We're, I live waiting, in for that, now, so. we're waiting for that call any day now. Um, I'm, I, <laughs> <laughs> I'll sequence it. I'll sequence some of the albums if they don't uh, mind. Yeah. yeah, but imagine that Imagine that being your gig. And so, uh, yeah, I would love to have be able to go to them and say, look, this is what I do. I would love to be you know, helping out with this in some form. Um, maybe that's the arrogance of, of youth that I don't have anymore, that my misspent youth. But that would, that would be the coolest thing ever to work on something like that. And if it's not me, it's somebody that maybe somebody that really appreciates the stuff that's there. Mm-hmm. Not just some guy's logging it, yeah. but somebody that knows, understands this is why this is why it's important. And, and knows that, yeah, okay, he wrote on this. We need to copy this. We need to scan that. We need to make sure this is documented properly and not just digitized, you know. So, yeah, I'm... I, um, I, I would love to work on that. I, I would I would love to spend the rest of my life working on this kind of stuff if I had the chance. Yeah, no, I guess um, before I was, <laughs> wait, wait. I was thinking more about like, you know, Prince wakes up at two in the morning and thinks, oh, my, I've got this riff on my head. I might walk down and, you know, he basically engineers the thing himself just like quickly. And that kind of stuff is probably lost now from the Paisley Park era anyway. Yeah, I'd, I'd, th- I'd say that yes, to a certain extent. But it was, I think, a little trickier to do when he was Paisley Park. When he was in doing it in his own house... His engineer, whoever the house engineer was, whether it was Susan Rogers or Don Batts, would set him up and have everything ready for him, waiting. Mm. And I don't know whether they did that 
when it came to Paisley. They might have, but I know at times they would not have as many people working there. You know, there'd be times that he'd do a big purge and there'd be only two or three people left, two or three engineers and maybe somebody to run the, the, the workings, the daily the day-to-day workings. Mm. And so there wasn't always somebody there. And so I don't know if he was going in there, but you're right. If he was, we won't know. And we won't know. And I know they, they didn't keep the best records of, of what was being done. Yeah, it's, it's very tricky. So you have to go back to the engineers as much as possible. And hopefully they had they kept their work orders or that they kept daily logs of what they did. And I think some of the later stuff is going to be trickier to catalog mm. because of that. And I think that there's a, a um, there's going to be holes in his history, his legacy, because he wasn't meticulous about what he's doing. He was basically, you know, recording, next, recording, next, fresh tape, next. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that was what he did. And, and so there wasn't always somebody saying, okay, what was that again? Okay, that was take three of, uh, you know... Mm. Yeah. This new song, you know, that never came out, you know, so which, which then, is kind of and, cool because you'll never you'll never truly solve the full mystery, even though a book like this gives you so much more context and so much more of the why and so many more details. I think it's unlikely that anyone will ever truly get, you know, it'll always be a search for more. Like even you could write all of the books and there'll still be another book somewhere, right? Like yeah, that's well, that's yeah. the crazy thing. There's always yeah. some more to learn yeah. about it. No, it's true. You're never gonna. Somebody says that like to me. My first thought was, "Yeah, hold my beer. Let me try this." And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know. but yeah, you're right. You're. It's gonna be. A, um, I don't know whether somebody's gonna ever be able to log every detail, and I don't know if I'll, I'll ever get the chance because this is time consuming to get it right. And like mm-hmm. I said, even even me saying I try to get it right as possible, there's gonna be. I know that there's gonna be certain things in there that people go, "Yeah, that's." Not my opinion or, 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 you know, and, and people remember things differently 30 years later, you know, I, I, and so I, whenever there was two or three different opinions of something, I tried to put in the different viewpoints. You know, there were times when somebody was saying, I was there for this and I, rec- I wrote this song and there's evidence that says maybe you, you weren't there for that. Or mm-hmm. so I try to put all the stories in or, or there's the whole thing about Prince taking the bass out of Wind Up's Cry. And there's three or four people that have different, slightly <laughs> different stories. Mm. So I try to make sure all of them were in there. Or who is the inspiration for Nothing Compares to You? Well, there's two or three different versions of that, or, or yeah, beautiful yeah. ones, or wonderful ass. You know, there's different people saying different things were inspiring it. So you kind of have to do your due diligence and make sure everybody is represented, hoping that, you know, you get it right. That's one of the stories is right. That's the thing. When you're talking 35 years, it's, you know, I can't tell you what I did last year, let alone 35 years ago. <laughs> exactly. What did you have for lunch 35 years ago? Exactly. Well, you know. It was probably a burger, but that's beside the point. <laughs> Pizza. Yeah, but it's, it's that kind of stuff. And, and I remember when I was doing the first interviews with Peggy McCreary, and it was mid-90s, 94, February 94. And she said, I don't remember what I did 10 years ago. <laughs> and I'm laughing how quaint that sounds, <laughs> you know, compared to now, 30 some odd years later. So, mm. yeah. And the, the sad thing is along the way, people have passed away. David Coleman passed away and Claire Fisher passed away, mm. you know, and, and Vanity passed away and Prince passed away. And, and all these people that were important to this and you, you kind of losing their perspective on things. And Prince had a way of telling stories. And I try to put as many quotes by Prince in there as possible. But he also liked to play with people and, and tease you about things. And, you know, he's a, he's a rude boy. He's a naughty boy. He would, he would mm. do things and say things that were not true just to kind of throw you off the track. Mm. And, and so you, you take what he said and you think, okay, well, was he mad at somebody that day when he said this? You know, because he mm. was talking one time about his, his first manager. And he was like, yeah, my first manager, whose name I can't remember. And I'm thinking, yeah. of course, you <laughs> yeah, remember right. his name. You're, you're being a jerk. And <laughs> yep. So you see the, the human side of him and, and 
uh, I tried to make sure I, I, I represented as many people and get quotes from people. There's there's people that I couldn't interview, people I wanted to interview. Susan Muncy, I, w- I would love to have interviewed. and so. But I found a few quotes by her. Or Jerome Benton I didn't get to interview, but I found quotes by him that were pretty vital to some of this stuff. And I think that, you know, I hope I represented them properly by, by making sure as many of the people that were there had a voice because it's their story too and it's their legacy. And I want to make sure that, that it's told properly with honor and respect and that the goal is is the truth and the full story. Speaking of their legacy, were there any people associated with him where your view of them changed during the process of writing and putting this whole thing together? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say. I mean, first off, the engineers. I don't understand. I didn't at the time understand what an engineer did, and you can kind of see the path of maturity he would get through different people around him. When he was around the time he recorded a certain fun way, or when he's around. Jill, there may be more this, and each person I think brought out a different side of his personality, and I think the revolution brought out something. And I think I respected the members like Wendy and Lisa and stuff like that much more, and Susanna after I realized how connected they were and how important they were, um, and, and not just hearing it from them, but hearing it from other people relating stories back to them. And Brenda, Brenda Bennett, who was kind of you know, in many ways you thought, well, she's kind of a, the, you know, she's the blonde in Vanity 6 and Apollonia 6. You don't really think much about it because she's, you know, back on the side. And you don't realize that, wait, she sang background on a number of songs or, and she has a killer voice. And you don't, didn't, I didn't quite know some of the stuff. And then I hear Susanna talking about Brenda and she said, you know, if it wasn't for Brenda, Purple Rain wouldn't have been Purple Rain. And her and, and, and Roy, her husband, and you start hearing the stories that the people telling about each other because I was asking these people what they thought of each other as well. And that was important because when you start hearing what they think of each other, it is kind of eye-opening about who was important and who was valued. And for example, Jill Jones got kind of shafted when it comes to the credits on the Purple Rain Deluxe. And she was very vocal about the fact that she wasn't happy. Yeah, I remember that. Oh yeah, she's vocal. I think that she was hurt. <laughs> I, but I do think yeah. she was hurt. And she, she is somebody that, it, you know, when she has an opinion, she makes sure you know it. And that's fine. I think she was just generally, honestly, her heart was hurt because she's like, I'm part of this history. And so I'd already interviewed her several times. But as soon as she said that publicly, I called her and I said, let's go through every track and hmm. let's talk about what you did because I want to make sure I got this right. Yeah. And we spent another couple hours on the phone playing music for each other and saying that's where I am or I was. I did this, but it may not be on the disc. So I tried to make sure that I respected everybody's things. And I went back to Susan Rogers I don't even know how many times, or Peggy McCreary, or members of the Revolution, or, or people, just to kind of double check on things. Like, I'm saying this, is this accurate? Or how would how would I phrase this? And I went back to the people who played strings, Novi Novog, or people like that that were the yeah. string players, just to kind of get their perspective. Because sometimes the people that were there for only a few days remember things better because it's not one big blur. Mm. You know, they may be, they may be like, I recorded in weather for three days. I remember those three days very much because they stood <laughs> out as opposed to I was there for 300 days and I can't remember one day from another. Yeah, that's it. Yep. <laughs> you know, that that's helpful. But yeah, I, I, I did reevaluate the people around him because I, I realized that every time he spoke to somebody, every time a joke was told, every time things like that, he needed input. And all these people around him were feeding this beast. And <laughs> there's a reason why he was able to do this much music is because the people around him were basically helping him. And they, the, the thing that I don't think people understand is he surrounded himself with people that saw his vision, accepted his vision, didn't question his vision, and pursued his vision with him. 
And that's, you know, his vision was to be the biggest star out there. And he did that. And I think that once he did that, he kind of regretted it, actually, because he mm. he was never under the radar again. He was never able to be that rebel he was. But they saw what he wanted. And, they, and whatever this thing was in the music, whatever it was, they allowed him to run with it. You listen to every sound check and every rehearsal. He's leading it. And even if it's just like an hour and a half of him playing a riff over and over and over so you can learn a new dance, they did that because they were there for that. And, and I think I respected the people around him because he's very selective about who he lets in with him. You know, you don't get into his recording studio unless there's a reason. And so if people are there, there's a reason he respected you enough to have you there. So that kind of stuff, yeah. Mm. It did, and and it did Jill Jones was one of those people. I mean, she wasn't just walking around. She was at the mixing desk with him. She's up in the vocal booth. Yep. They're trading yep. lyrics. So yep. you, when, when you talked about Jill earlier, it's like, well, she's got a right. She's got a right to not only voice her opinion, even though you know it, it was quite obvious that she was she was frustrated by the whole thing but yeah. she was there part of yeah, exactly it, exactly and for anybody else to second guess the people that were there is you know here's the thing no matter how articulate i am with the book and how detailed i am i was not there so what i tried to do is let these people tell their stories and get out of the way and my job was to link it all but I wanted these people, and you'll see sometimes in the book, there'll be half a page of a person telling a story. Hmm. You know, Jesse telling a story about them in the studio recording. I want to say it's either The Bird or Jungle Love. I forget which one it is. Where they're in Prince's home studio, and, and Morris is cleaning his ears with the, uh, the Q-tip that you use to clean the, the tape heads. And things like that. And, and those kind of things are the memories of these people. They're important, and this is what they remember, and this is what they knew. And, and they knew the guy. They knew his humor. Hearing people say, well, you know what he was going to be like if he was wearing this that day. You knew shit was going to happen. Yeah. Or if he was wearing something else, you knew, oh, okay, he's in a good mood. <laughs> that kind of stuff. You, you, things you would never know. But I always defer to the people that were there because I, I see this as their book and they were nice enough to allow me to tell their stories in context of the studio sessions. And, and the stories they told me were full of love and happiness and joy, but frustration and anger and creative things and just, just realizing that this, is, this was their job, but they were dealing with a person. And it's not just, like I said, it's not just dates. It's not just hmm. at this time, at this time, he did this. No, he did this and, and he was in a good mood that day. And this is, or he woke hmm. up in the middle of the night and said, this is an inspiration for me. And he calls Peggy and says, let's go in the studio and do Manic Monday. And they do it. Then he gives it away and, and you start hearing what Brenda thought about them giving it away or what Peggy thought about them giving it away. And you're going, yeah, that does kind of suck them. Him taking it away from Apollonia 6, which is a great song, and giving it away. I'm curious what Brenda thought about that because that's something that's important. That's a piece of history. and It's a great song. It would have been a great song for Apollonia 6. And so I want to know. And, and as a geek about this stuff, I asked the questions that I wanted to know because I wrote the book I wanted to read. And what do you think Prince fans reading your book will learn about Prince that they may not know before? Like, what would you like them to take away from the book after reading it? How dedicated he was to his music. When you see him working three weeks in a row without a break till three or four in the morning every night... And sometimes by himself, sometimes with other people. And you just see this. This guy's 24, 25, 26 years old doing this. You know, at a time when you were already a star, you could – it's real easy to be a star and go out and just party. And a lot of people don't record in between their albums. They'll take breaks or months off and just enjoy life, party and have a good time, 
develop a bad habit, whatever it is. But Prince said, you know what? I'm going to record. This is what I do. This is what I. This is what makes me happy. And his dedication and his focus, and again his commitment to the people around him doing the stuff, and and that to me is one of the things. I hope people read this and see his um, his charitable side because he gave to a lot of charities and he did a lot of concerts for charity. And I don't think that's reported as much. And I think that that's a mm. vital thing. I think his humor is something I hope people see and they understand a little bit more. I hope that people walk away from this with a new respect of this guy didn't stop and as much as you've always heard that he didn't stop recording seeing it in context where you got weeks on end where he just is recording meticulously voraciously just can't stop that to me is his legacy in that and that he wanted to get his music out and that was the most important thing and then as an artist the other thing i think is as uh is vital is how much of an artist he was because he could easily coasted and said yeah purple rain i could tour on that for two years i don't need to come out with another freaking album i can just rest on my laurels here and by the time he was playing the purple rain tours he was bored of the music he'd had the music for a year or two and he you know the concert tour was was really just performing what he thought people would want to see every song on the album in a lot of it in the order of the album at times and you know the greatest is, and, and they knew where he'd be playing, and I think he was bored. He was, a, you mm. know, and he said, you know, I'm going to record another album. I'm going to, I'm going to record around the world day, and that's going to be different. And that's what I want to do. So he'd go in the studio and he'd do the latter, or he'd do, uh, you know, any one of those songs. And then the other thing I hope people take away is, is you know, how much stuff he did, because in the first few years of 1984, he did a good chunk of the Time album. He did all of, um, pretty much almost all of the Apollonia 6 album, did a couple songs off of Purple Rain, did Sheila's album, did the Family album. You know, that's all within a few months. Nobody can do that. Nobody. That's still while they're editing a movie and prepping for a tour. Who does that? Nobody! Yeah. <laughs> Who does that? It's, it's completely mind-boggling. And then he gets all yeah. that fame and success. And as you said, he, he, he maybe re- regretted it. We'll, we'll never maybe completely know. But it's kind of like, you know, I've climbed, I've reached the top of one mountain. Let's go climb another one. Right, right. And to a certain extent, he burned down everything. He said, you know what? I'm not going to be Mr. Purple Rain. I'm not going to. And there were most of the songs on there. He didn't perform again for a while. He, he took years off of some of these songs. Some of the songs on the album, he never really recorded or performed again in, rot- in heavy rotation. You know, he always did Purple Rain and When Doves Cry and, and Let's Go Crazy. But Computer Blue, I think, waited a long time. And, and some of the others, uh, you know, that he didn't, he put on the shelf for years because he just thought, you know what, I'm not going to do these things. And I list those at the end where he didn't talk about the things that he just said, you know what, I'm not going to be Mr. Purple Rain. I'm not going to play these songs over and over and over, even though people want them, people expect them, you know. And, and I think that's, again, a sign of this artist who, you know, when it came to the family, the family was going to replace the time. Well, he could have easily done the time part two. But he mm-hmm. said, you know what? I want the family to be different. And I brought in saxophone on this and brought in Claire Fisher and made it something so radically different that there's very little in common with the time except that there's some funk in there. Mm-hmm. You know, that that to me is is the sign of the brilliance of this guy that he and, – and also the frustration though because because of this – there's so many projects in his vault that are unfinished. And we all know these things where we're going, why didn't you release more of the flesh? Or why didn't you, <laughs> yeah. you know, because he's got all these things sitting there that he just like, I maybe he got bored with them or I don't know. but Or maybe not bored with it, 
but got excited about the next project. The other thing that's interesting to me is when you look through the book, you'll see that he was wrapping up certain things at the end of the month, almost as if he put a, um, a timeline on it. And we'd say, okay, I've got to get this Apollonia 6 album done by the end of February 1984. And he literally would wrap it up by then. And then the Sheila album, he'd say, okay, I've got to get it done by the end of March. And he realized, okay, it's going to go over two or three days beyond that. But he'd kind of wrap up projects at the end of certain months or things like that that, to me, I never would have seen unless I saw it in context. Mm. So that kind of stuff is fun to me. Yeah. Out of everyone you talked to, like researching for the book, who did you find the most interesting to talk to like personally oh wow like who were you sitting there talking or on the phone or whatever and just like i can't believe this i'm talking to this person i'm hearing all these you things you know it, it's it's funny because there's so many uh, that i could just say that with um the members of the revolution for one because they're mm. iconic you know and and you're and I'm laughing at myself thinking that you're talking to me for my silly little book <laughs> so that that's one thing susan rogers i spent a lot of time with I flew to Boston, hung out with her, and I actually just saw her a few weeks ago in Minneapolis, and I spent time with her back in April on uh, for the celebration, um, and she's oh, been yeah. really, really sweet about everything and, and, and said some wonderful things about my book. And uh, so she, she's a wealth of knowledge, and, and Peggy McCreary was a wealth of knowledge, and I spent hours, because Peggy doesn't live far from me, so I'd spend hours with her. Oh, that's handy. Um, uh, who else would I, I say? Um that to really, you know, Claire Fisher was a great one to me. I really enjoyed talking to him because he kind of like the way Susan Rogers understands sound. He understands the way sound works together. And when somebody can talk on several levels about vibrations and things blending and things like this mm. and the things Claire Fisher brought to it, and then the fact that he never met Prince. That's the insane you know. thing. But it's so good yeah. you got to talk to him like before he yeah. passed away as well, yeah. I I talked to him twice and I talked to his son several times as well and and so then they they they've been great. Who, oh, I know Al uh, Albert Magnoli was a was one that I thought, "Oh my god, what are you doing talking to me?" <laughs> and and he and I became, have become friends. He just hearing we I, I told him I, I got about a half an hour of questions I want to talk to you about. And literally 8 hours later, <laughs> we were still talking. And I thought, oh my God, there's just so much I can. I keep telling him, you should write a book. I'm trying to think of the people that just, yeah. You know, I, again, the same thing happened with Susanna. I, I said, yeah, I've got like five, six questions for you. I just want to cover a few things. And again, we ended up talking for like six hours. <laughs> and that was the first time. And then we talked again for another couple of hours. And then we had lunch. And it just, somebody that I just, I'm sitting there going, I'm, I'm just, flatter that you think this is important and that's the thing they've come to me and said that this is important and this is this is vital to have his story told in this way and the fun thing to me is several of these people have come to me and said do you know when this was recorded because i'm doing something about this and and i need to know you've been helping them out (laughs) yeah exactly and and i think that that's sort of fun and I, i feel like if i could give back to these people who have given not only so much to all of us but to me i'm happy to do that because I've spent so much time on the phone with Jill Jones. I, I feel like I owe her, you know, and, and what I owe these people is the feeling like I want to be as accurate as possible. And I want to make sure that their stories are told honestly and truthfully and as completely as possible so that the people understand that, yeah, Prince did this alone, but he didn't do it alone. And he had an army of people around him that felt the same way that, that they thought, you know, we can do this together and let's put on a show guys, you know, and, Mm. you know, and, and they, they kind of all had that attitude and they kind of, and they weren't paid well. These guys were never paid well. Getting docked all the time for missing one note. 
it's not good. That it's crazy <laughs> when you yeah, think about that. You'd be docking them, and they're not making much to begin with. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, there's times that some of these people got very upset with that, mm-hmm. you know. But you know, having having Lisa Coleman and I, I don't even gonna to begin who did because they all. You can't pick one. You can't pick the favorite. No, and, and and it's not really a favorite, really. It's it's they're all sort of heroes to me. And as as goofy as that sounds, you know, you've sat there with the with the, the when you're listening to the album, you're reading the liner notes, and you're seeing, oh, okay, I see this name. I wonder if that's a guy or a girl. Mm. What a funny name this mm. person has, or whatever. <laughs> and then you when you get to talk to them, and they're telling you the stories behind this, and and you know, you have dinner with somebody, and you're just going, it's all inspiring because you just feel like you could talk to them for hours. And I want to make sure I represent the people that were there in a way that is furthering Prince's legacy, but also making sure that the people who were there get recognized because I think they deserve to be not understood because this is rock and roll history. And and if you had a part in it, you'd want to be the person that, that helped ink up the pens for the Declaration of Independence. You'd want to be that guy <laughs> noticed. So these are the guys, that the people that were there that may be doing something we don't understand, but they were doing something very important. To make sure that uh, I, I, so I, it was my, it was my goal to find the people, even the people that may not have had as big of a role, but were there kind of watching because you want to know what people think. So yeah, these people that you're interviewing, have they given response to your book? Like, are they reading this and tripping out, thinking like bringing all the memories back for them? A lot of people, and so far for the most part, almost exclusively, people have been really excited about it. Because and I've gone back to people and, and they've seen. Sometimes when I'll sit there and interview with somebody, if I've gone over to their house or something like that, I'll have the work orders with me, and they'll be looking through and going, "Oh, that's my handwriting right there," or <laughs> "That's Prince's handwriting right there," or "I remember this day because he and I went to the movie uh, instead of going actually working," you know. Hmm. So those kind of things, or you know, somebody say, "Oh, you know, I've got the actual handwritten lyrics for that. If you want to see those?" Wow. Well, yeah, wow. I do. <laughs> As a matter of fact, and and uh, I actually had the handwritten lyrics on the cover, but I asked the estate if I could do that, and they said no. Hmm. So I had to have the artwork changed. Speaking yes. of the cover, we have a mutual friend uh, in common that's done yes. the graphics to your book and to our podcast. I speak of Rev. Reverend. Yep. Rev is fantastic. I cannot say enough wonderful things about Rev. He's He is he honestly... Is yeah, he's he is... And he's been... He and I have war stories about getting this thing right, and I think he's got such an eye for this stuff. He and I have been talking about doing the cover of this thing for probably four or five years. Wow. And How did that I got all the... come together? Um, I Well, I knew Rev through some of the Prince groups, and he's done a lot of the art for things out there, as you know. He's done a lot of the uh, <laughs> art that's out there floating around, and he does great work for it. And I, I always saw some of his stuff, and I thought, this guy's just phenomenal. And I think I reached out to him and said, you know, um, I'm doing a book. And when I get to that point, I want to talk to you about this. And, and he and I started throwing around ideas. And I said, uh, I got to find the picture because you have to have a good picture. And I was looking for a picture of Prince in the studio. And I really wanted to get a picture of Prince in the studio. But they don't, don't really exist um, unless it's a different era. And you know, like I do, I'm one of these people that when I watch things and I see them from the wrong era, it turns me off. If they're yeah. talking about Purple Rain and they're showing Graffiti Bridge haircut. Yeah. 
I'm a- I'm angry because I'm thinking they didn't do the research. Every time that happens, I'm like, is it sad that I know like his haircut from like every possible? No, year? <laughs> but this this is what this when people you know when people are a fan when they go, oh, that's during the Liza Minnelli hairstyle of uh, <laughs> only for yeah. like three months, you know. But we know this stuff. It's it that is what we do. <laughs> And so there wasn't anything that had that. So I thought I had to find an iconic shot from the Purple Rain tour. And I found one done by a guy named Neil Preston. Neil Preston is one of the biggest rock photographers in history. He did The Who. He did Zeppelin. He toured with Zeppelin. He did, you you name it, iconic shots on the cover of albums that he did. And he was local. And I reached out to him and and worked out a deal uh, to do the thing. And then I showed, before I did that, I showed Rev the picture. And Rev goes, this is great. I can do some stuff with this. And he kind of ran with it and I didn't change much at all other than saying can we move this work order part here can we emphasize this can we do this and Rev was very accommodating and like I said I, I actually sometimes just sit there staring at the cover thinking first off I can't believe this is a book second off I can't believe how lucky I am to have found somebody like Rev who mm-hmm. is just I mean the guy is just you know you, you, he's just talent Oh, and it's great. I he mean, just, he's been doing our artwork for years and years now, and it's every every time he sends one back, I'm just like, oh, look at that. That's I I can't do that. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. what's funny is 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 you guys were asking me earlier before we started this that you know what was something that I noticed about you guys, and I said I did say honestly your artwork, mm-hmm. and I did not know that we had a mutual friend that did the artwork, so I didn't <laughs> I didn't realize that. So I'm sitting there complimenting his artwork without even realizing I'm complimenting him. I thought I'm giving you guys props, and here I am. You know, you guys are just some yucca putzes who got the work from him. Yeah, yeah. that's all right. <laughs> really lucky. <laughs> so, yeah. So he's just. Oh my gosh, he's just. Yeah, there's certain people that when they came together for this, really to me, up, up the game. He was one. Questlove, getting a chance to have Questlove do the the forward, that kind of stuff. I just, I still pinch myself about all the different parts that are working together for this, and thinking, how on earth did this? You know, did this all come together? And the photographer of that picture that you're speaking of, you said that was local. Has he seen Rev's interpretation of his I photo? don't think he has. Uh, I haven't talked to him. I told him that, you know, I was going to be um, altering it somewhat. And he's, okay, he just wanted to make sure his credit is mentioned. But I did put the unaltered version in the book so that people can see what Neil's uh. work is. And because uh, I, I want to make sure that, that he's recognized for his work as well because he's, you know, his, his stuff is just, honestly, if you look him up, Neil Preston, he's got uh, a book that just came out and things like that. You'll recognize shots of Queen or shots of Zeppelin or stuff like this. So he's very well known. But he's not seen this, and I, I do want to show him. I just It's been so busy trying to get everything done. I, did, I always thought when you get a book done, you're done. That's not quite <laughs> oh, the case. It's never done. No. I'll be, I'll be, you know, on my tombstone will be, you know, dates of, of things coming up with the book. You know. <laughs> <laughs> That's sort of how it goes. It's it's it's, it's this is a never-ending process. But at the same time, there is a an amazing connection I didn't realize I'd be making with people out there that um, I'm I'm really enjoying. I'm really enjoying meeting so many people that wanted something like this. And uh, I think even when I talked to you guys, I reached out to you guys, and I think whoever I talked to said we've known about this or we'd heard about this, and I'm like, mm. really? <laughs> and that yeah. is, you know, there's something you know. I, I don't know how far my evil tentacles have stretched so uh it's it's fun to see you know that people are interested in this and 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 excited about this because there's a book i wrote that i want to read and so that it turns out that there's other people that want to read it that makes me feel really good that should be everyone's plan who's going to write a book is 
write something that you you actually want to read. Like exactly. I'm sure there's people out there who write a book and like I'm gonna write this book and I'm gonna make money, but that's yeah. that's you know that's part of it. But that shouldn't be your main goal. It should just be a good book. There's not a lot of money to be made in books. Yeah. Books are done, you know, unless you're Dan Brown or, you know, writing a Harry Potter books. There's not yeah. a lot of money to be made in books. So I got into this knowing full well that I probably would end up losing money on this because between lawyer fees and artwork and all this other stuff, it does get very pricey. Mm. And there's just not a big margin. People don't buy books. They just don't. And, and then if they do, somebody may buy it or they may download it and then they start they put it on Pirate Bay or something like that, and and all of a sudden yeah, nobody's that's buying it. Because... a problem now with like anything yeah. that comes out like is it, it is. a digital book? It's just going to end up it on is. the internet sooner or later. Yeah, and and it's and I think I'm old school because I like holding a book. I like a book on my chest yeah, me when too. I'm reading it. I like you yeah, want like to smell of... the paper. Yeah, I want I I want when I'm done with a book, it should be you know folded up. It should have be dog eared. It should be <laughs> highlighted. And this is the kind of book that you're going to be going through and highlighting things. I, I look at some of I've my already been highlighting stuff. I'm highlighting yeah. stuff all over the place. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fun when you see, you're going, oh, that's what this is. And it, it kind of is stuff you want to go back to. And this is going to be a bit of a reference book for people. You know, and, and, and if there's mistakes in it, I'll, I'll correct them when we come out with, if we come out with a paperback or for a further edition or something like that. But I, I want people to enjoy the music in a way that they didn't before and understand it and, and, and listen to it in a way that gives them another angle of looking at a song and, and understanding, oh, he meant this. He was making a dig at Morris with this. Oh, hmm. now I get it. He was, he was being mad. You know, Mutiny is not a happy song. Yes. He's, he's, he's mad at Morris. Okay. That's, and he's using, you know, Paul to, to say the words that he's mad at Morris about. So, hmm. You know, that kind of stuff. He's like saying, you know, no, this is no longer your ship, Morris. <laughs> Taking over. And he's, and he's having somebody else, the guy, the new singer, say the stuff that he wanted him to yeah. say. So you see the, the, the fun things behind this and, and the frustration with, with him at the time, too. But, yeah, I, I, I write a book that you want to read. I'll tell you, as an author, you're going to be reading it more than any other person on the planet. <laughs> you're going to read it 20 times before it even comes out. Oh, I, if, at 20, I would love for it to only been 20. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. I've been working on this 20 years, you know, so you, you read it over and over. And every time I read it, I'd find things I'd change. And then I finally was like, this comes out in November, November 15th. This is the lock. I have to finish this. It's, you know, I don't have a choice. So, yeah, it's... it's but see, uh, that's a problem Prince had. Like, if he recorded something and it wasn't coming out yet, he'd keep going back to it and just adding useless things and, like, mm-hmm. overproduction. You've got to just... Endorphin at, Machine. At some point... Endorphin Machine is a great example. Don't yeah. even yeah. talk about it. <laughs> a whole at some point, you've just got to go, it's done, walk away. Done. Just leave Walk it. away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This doesn't but need that's, cowbell. You know, that's... I, as an artist, you, you you want things to be a certain way. And I don't, the funny thing is, I don't think he's a perfectionist, but he, because I think he, he plays and stuff like this from the soul, but he wants to be his, his vision. But I don't think he's a perfectionist because he'll, he'll accept mistakes mm. and errors and, and be like, you know, that maybe it's the way it's supposed to be intended. And so he yeah. accepts certain things like that. But I don't think, um, I, I agree. It is frustrating when he would have extra time and kind of sometimes destroy a song. You know, I, I'm kind of curious... About Wally, I want to hear the version that's not uh, yeah. destroyed. You know, I think all of us do. So yeah, that's that's a, you know, I mean it, it's, and and the other projects you think what song should have been on there? The the fun thing to me is thinking about Purple Rain. There's no reason 
for these songs to be on there unless they they pushed the the storyline of the movie, but they had to be compelling songs for a soundtrack. So you have to have something that hits both. And so G-Spot will be taken off or Electric Intercourse will be taken off because there's, you know, other things he had to put on there or, or you know, uh, Computer Blue be cut way down. Um, mm, yeah. You know, things like that, which I'm glad they came out with a longer version of that myself personally. I just, you know, I'm, I'm one of these, I like, I'm, I'm sure you guys are completist where you want to hear every note. Hmm. You know, yeah. so yeah, so I'm I'm glad when they do the parade deluxe things, and I hope they do a sign of the times, and I hope they do a parade one, and I hope they do a 1999 one, and I hope they do a diamonds and pearls one, you know, I hope they do all this stuff. I hope they do, you know, whatever it is. I hope they do. A, I would love to see Warner Brothers decide to uh, go to Rhino Records and and uh, say, okay, come out with deluxe versions once one a year. Just on that with the deluxe versions, would you like to be approached as the person? For the no. liner notes, no, no, no way. <laughs> that would be horrible. <laughs> no, I mean just just for like in terms of accuracy and like yeah, just as um, a contributor. Sure, I mean there's there's um I knew some people that worked on this one, and I saw the mistakes they had on the dates, and there were people that were upset about that, and I thought you know what that, you know here's the thing I go through with this: a lot of the people that are at Warner Brothers now are not the same people that were there yeah back in the day, so they don't know who these people are and why they would be important. They don't know Jill Jones. They don't know anybody outside of the revolution that might have had an important part of this. Well, that's going to be even worse when it comes to song, to albums that, you know, maybe 1999, which is even older, or albums that didn't sell as much as Pearl Rain, but, you know, like Sign of the Times, which is a great album, but they won't know all the configurations of, of, of Crystal Ball and, and Dream Factory and Camille that we do, that we do on our nerd level. So I'd love to have something to do with that in some form, sure. I mean, it would be great to be a consultant or it'd be great to write some of this stuff or, or have a participate in it. And and by doing that, using the people and the knowledge of the people that were there to help guide the narrative. You know, I mean, I, I would love to do a Sign of the Times thing where there's five discs and you have all the songs that didn't come out and or I'd love to do a revolution. You know, I, I'm kind of surprised on this one that they came out with, with Roadhouse Garden on it because I thought they would have save that for a Roadhouse Garden album. Yeah. And that sort of showed me that I don't know if they really understood the bigger picture. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, a few of those tracks that came out, that like the unreleased disc with that Purple Rain yeah. Deluxe, there were a few tracks on there. I'm like, that shouldn't probably be on there. But mm-hmm. it is, so it is what it is. But yeah, looking at dates of things, there's a few tracks you're just like, why? <laughs> no, I know. I think, I think the reason that, and I wrote about this in an article in The Current, that all the stuff that was recorded there was recorded technically in the Purple Rain era. Because he was still doing... uh, The album came out in the summer of 84, but he was still working on the extended versions into the fall. And I think maybe even in uh, the release of... you know Beyond that, um, in the early winter. So he was still working on some things from that. But there's a big crossover in a gray area because he might have been working on this, but he's working around the world a day at that time too. So there's two or three things. And then there's Roadhouse Garden thrown in there as well. So and, And during that time, he's doing The Family. So he was just recording, and, and yeah, okay, Electric Intercourse came at this one time, so that's, that makes sense in there. But then you've got an outlier like um, Dance Electric that yeah. seems like it's out of, out of the range, but that's still about a month after the album came out. Okay, so that's mm, gray area, you know, but I get <laughs> yeah. what you're saying. It seems like, wait, this doesn't seem to make sense. Why is this here? This should have been on a Around the World Day box or something like that. So I, I know, you almost feel like anything after... The date of the release of the album shouldn't be qualified, but that would disqualify some of the 
extended mixes that were done in the fall. Yeah, yeah. So it's a you know it's a it's a it's not a fine line. But that's our fault for being super critical of everything. Yeah. Prince geek fans who know right. all this stuff. <laughs> exactly. Well, and and if you didn't know the stuff, it would all be a surprise and a treat. But we mm. do know the stuff, so we're yeah. like looking at going. Okay, well now I'm going to really pay attention to these five songs because I've heard everything else on here. You yeah. know, and so we ignore some of the things. But I'll tell you, the the disc I go to is that disc. I don't go to the um, remastered disc, and I don't go to. Oh, the Oh, don't you love edit. those seven? I, th- I thought you were playing the edits. Yeah, I thought you were just playing that on repeat. What are you talking about? Yeah. That's the stuff everybody <laughs> wants. I, you I know. Understand. Yeah, I understand why they did the edits because it was, you know, we're completists and stuff like this. But yeah, we all went to. Well, the first disc that fell out of that container, which was not exactly fell out packaging. literally. Yep. But, yeah, it literally fell out on my floor. Was that disc? And and so, but that's the one you play. That was, and the cool thing for me this is fun. I actually um, that album came out on the day that the Revolution was playing here in town at the Wiltern. So it was a big Prince weekend for me because I was turning in the book that weekend. That CD came out and um, the the band was playing. So it's like it was you know just a big like peak for me when it came to Prince stuff that weekend. And and yeah, I, I jammed on everything. And, then, and I think we were all kind of like, we'd all heard about Katrina's Paper Dolls, can't wait, can't wait, mm. and you hear it and you're like, oh, yeah. alright. <laughs> yeah, I don't Next. know, I, I mean, we don't want to start a, another Peter no, Blake no. album review here, but I'm a little bit, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm kind of a fan of that track. Anyway, that's that's for another conversation. Someone should have called I, I seem to remember so. that. Yeah, <laughs> Here's the thing about his music, though. The cool thing is, there are people out there that like each one of these things. I may not like God vocal version as <gasps> much as somebody else. But to somebody, that says that is the world to them. and But it exists, and I don't want it to not exist. I'm happy it exists. I just may not listen to that as much as I listen to another track. You know, and, and just like some people love Adonis and Bathsheba, which I know you guys have never heard. Oh, no idea. <clears throat> no idea. Exactly. But when you do hear it, but there's some people that think it's a little loopy, and there's some people that think it's the greatest thing ever. I think to a certain extent, though, a lot of us get attached to songs that are unreleased because we feel like we're in a an area we're not supposed to be in and it's kind of ours and we feel exclusive to it. We feel an attachment to it. It doesn't mean it's necessarily the best song ever. It just may be something we really, you know, we put a lot of ourself in and we, we, we get to listen to that almost like we're an exclusive club. That's, that's definitely there, true. You know, There's some unreleased tracks which... Again, probably not anywhere near a great song, but because it's right. unreleased and it's a ninth generation cassette copy, it's great. Somehow, it's, <laughs> exactly. a great, it's, a, it's a great thing just because of that. Your imagination fills yeah. in the blanks of all those, you know. Well, yeah, and, and that's, that's where our fandom is. We, we are, we are completists. We want to hear every note and we want to hear everything. And we'll, and we'll be like, I know people are saying, why didn't they put that extra 10 seconds in, you know, <laughs> extra 20 seconds in uh, yep. uh, Beautiful Ones? In yeah. in or darling Nikki in on the album and I'm thinking, yeah that ten, that ten seconds made the song you know, <laughs> exactly it, you know no we we're gonna want to hear every note we're gonna want to hear it we would not be happy with a ten album set no. because we'd be like I want to hear how they wrote Purple Rain I want to yeah, hear I want, I want the twenty album set <laughs> exactly so we're we're never gonna be happy the fact mm. that they're doing something is pretty cool. When you talk about exclusive club, though, I was just thinking back to your book and my experiences of going through it so far. It, that's kind of the feeling that I get when I'm flicking the pages. It's like I'm part, even though obviously I wasn't there, none of us were. You can imagine you were. Yeah, you kind of put yourself in back in time into that place. And then Tojo mentioned filling in the blanks. Well, you kind of don't have to because you do all that. 
for us. Well, and so then the blanks are being filled in and we kind of feel like we're back there. And this music and this, to some degree, this person who we thought we knew so much about, and I think we do know a lot about him and the people around him, becomes so much greater. So that's the, that's the intriguing thing and the interesting about, thing about it is just every time you turn a page, it's, it's like you're there. You're on it's that like journey. And that's really, really cool. Yeah. Well, that, that, um, thank you. I, I, that's sort of what I was hoping to. I, you know, I, I wanted to have it so that you are a fly on the wall. Ah. You know, you're, you're looking over the shoulder of the, of the master. <laughs> That's actually one of my questions here. If, if there was one session or date described in your book in which you'd love to have been a fly on the wall, which session and why? There's a couple, but the first one comes to mind is the Recording of America. Oh, wow. Um, I didn't see that coming. I know. I know. That's the thing. Is The reason why I say that is because it was a jam that just lasted and just all of them kind of jamming together. And I, I the funny thing is, I was never a huge fan of the extended version because it's a little repetitive. But once I found out what was going on with it and, and how they did it, and in context of, of the other stuff, it made sense and it made me want to go back and listen to it. I just picture the band there performing it and everybody kind of stepping forward and then doing it until the tape ran out. That, yeah. you know, they basically said, we're going to do this until we run out of tape. <laughs> well, that's kind of a fun thing. There wasn't an ending to it. It just all of a sudden just, you know, just cuts like, out, they just yeah. ran... And they, they talked about putting on the sound effect of a tape on the uh, thing going, <laughs> like it had, yeah. had, oh, they you know, have done had that. finished. <laughs> yeah, and that would have been fun. And um, I think that was one around the world a day because it looked sound like a big party. It was all of them getting together and just all the family members, of the, uh, the Melvoins and the, and the Colemans and the band. And, and like he'd give like a, t- uh, a, a tambourine to uh, his drum tech, Brad Marsh. You know, and things like that. And he'd just say, okay, play the tambourine for a minute. And Brad would be like, okay. And 20 minutes later, he's like, my arm's going to fall off. And you know, <laughs> I would love to have seen those kind of things. Or um, Purple Rain, when they were writing it, and just how they're all coming up with the different things would have been nice. Mm. I think it was, I want to say it's God Vocal. There's a part where he basically, they were recording, and it was the machines kept shutting down, shutting down, shutting down. And finally, they were able to get one full take of him doing the vocal of this, sitting there and recording it. And at the end, he stands up, closes the piano, and walks, walks out. Walks away, yeah. Hmm. Just walks away. And you're like going, wait, he didn't say, all right, see you guys tomorrow. And, you know, I just I, I just picture him, you know, doing that. And Susan looking around, Susan Rogers looking around going, uh, wait, wait, where, where'd he go? I guess we're done you then. Know, and, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's it. After a song like that, though, I don't think you're going to be saying anything. It's like that's so hyper intense that it would it probably would feel weird for him to start talking after. He's kind of put his soul into it. Everyone would have just been speechless. That What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so those kind of things, when I hear those kind of stories, that makes me feel like I'm there. And I feel like I'm getting something out of this that I wouldn't. I, I love books about Prince. I mean, I, I, I'm like you guys. I probably read just about everyone out there. And some I love, and some I'm like, okay, you gave me nothing new. Mm. And to me, my goal was to let the stories be told by as many people as possible. And having them tell their perspectives. I don't know if you guys know the movie Rashomon. Mm-hmm. I've heard of it? it. I don't know what the... Kurosawa. Rashomon, yeah. Rashomon is, a, is a Japanese movie that is a story about crime that happens, but it's told by all the different perspectives. And each one's got their own perspective. Oh, I saved the day. Oh, I remember it from this angle. That's sort of how this is. And it's all the different people telling their perspectives. And sometimes it, it, it jibes. And sometimes it's like, no, that's not the way I remember it because I was there for this. And that's what I was hoping to get is, is it's not always going to be a clean story. 
because sometimes there's two different people that disagree. And I, I think that I tried to point out what they do, but there's times that, um, what was the other song that, uh, there was a song that, um, Vibrator. Oh, yeah. And you're like going, Hello. you're like going, okay, I would have liked to have been there for that. <laughs> you know, or, you know, <laughs> or things like that. It's, it's, there's so many different aspects to this because Jill was there for that. And she was like, she just, you know, was like, yep, that's what was going on. And you're just <laughs> laughing thing. And okay. I can imagine him saying like, Dwayne, uh, Dwayne, what are you doing in the studio? Uh. <laughs> exactly. Why, why? And why with the pen and paper? Uh, <laughs> I'm here for the vibrator <laughs> song. I mean, this, this, trust me, this will be great one day. Uh, yeah. And, and he was very selective. Susanna uh, Melvoin had said that, you know, one of the big things is this was his private space. And if he invited you into the space, there's a reason he invited you into the space. You served a purpose. Mm. And he could do all this stuff himself. You know, there were very few people that could play an instrument that he couldn't. Eric Leeds or something like that or, or you know, could play this. But even there's a story in there about Prince trying to play saxophone. <laughs> Jill Jones tells a story about him playing saxophone on a song. Yeah, and, and you're just going, oh, my God, I never knew that. And you just laugh thinking you picture the saxophone as big as him. <laughs> <laughs> that, that kind of stuff is, is just fun. Or there's things like, you know... Um, doing tambourine and 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 uh a song about masturbation and i'm laughing to myself thinking he did that song by himself wait a second yeah. <laughs> you know, i can know. see the joke yeah but the, you know so and that, he did that actually he did that with uh, uh darling nikki as well so both songs about that and he's he's uh there's a pattern there of him doing those songs by himself just so it just there's hmm. something you know i don't know it, it, there's just so many I don't even know where what sessions. I can tell you there's sessions that happen after this book that I'm looking forward to talking about. You know, Ooh. so if you're curious, yeah, we're, we're looking we're looking forward to reading that. Believe me, <laughs> okay. it's, it's well, just so let me tell so you, intriguing. Uh, if you're curious, I'm, I'm if this book does well, depending on how it's received, I want to do a second book. Sure, I would I would love to do the book. I've already started drafting things up for eighty-five and eighty-six. Oh, which should wow. be yeah, which would be. All of Parade, all of Sign of the Times, all of Crystal Ball, all of Dream Factory. Dream Factory. Wow. Oh, wow. Madhouse. Wow, you're um, blowing minds now. <laughs> the Flesh, uh, songs off of Black Album, songs, uh, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, Wait a minute, Jill all Jones. the associated artists. Yeah, Jill Jones. You cannot fit all that in one book, though. That's insane. The book I just did is only a two-year period. It's January 1st, 83 to December 31st, 84. And it's 500 pages. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. That's that book. And the, then the publisher was like, can you make it shorter? <laughs> no. Just cut out the last six months. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I, I'd like to. I, I, people want to read this stuff. And it was, it's, the book is about 200,000 pa- 200, pages, 200,000 words. And these kind of <laughs> books are generally about 120,000 words. So it's, it's, it's much bigger. And, and granted, there's a, there's a good section in the back that is, is exclusively... Um, Citations, mm. you know, so, you know, a couple dozen pages of citations. Because I did every time I use somebody's quote from somewhere that wasn't from me, I cited it. Yeah. So that way you can go back and say, where did he say that? Oh, I'd love to read that article. And sometimes in the citation, it'll have the link to it, so you can go online and read, you know, what it was. Because I think that to me, I'd always read articles or books, and I'd go, when did he say that? And I'd like to know, and this kind of makes sure I, I want to make sure I, read, I I gave everybody who contributed people giving them access to those people because you could do you could do just 85 86 and that's that's a whole book by itself and then do 87 88 it's just that's just so much that's one thing and and this is what i'm my goal is to do 
8586, which doesn't lead up to, basically by the end of 86, he's broken up the revolution, the family's yeah. broken up, and he's by himself. Susanna and he are no longer together, and he's basically in the studio recording Wally. Mm. And that's... Oh, that's the perfect opening for the 87-88 book right there. Exactly. So 87-88 is him putting together Sign of the Times and doing the Sign of the Times tour and then doing all that. And and 88 ends with him and his managers, him firing all his managers. So there's there's natural breaks in each one of these things. And and there's... I'm hoping I get to do these. If these books are well-received, because I'm I'm, I'm working a day job, I've got to find a way to do these books... And, and, and maintain it. And I can't do 20 years. I, I, I want to get this next one out, <laughs> yeah. too. You know? We can't wait and, 20 years. <laughs> yeah, I know. We'll be, be an old man by that time. Hmm. So I'm hoping I can do these faster. now that I'm, And I've done most of the interviews I need for the second book. But I'm going to go back, if I am able to do it, and re-interview people and talk to more people and see what I can do. And I'm hoping, like I said, to get the estate interested in something like this where I can have access to more of the things that find out more of the music and... And, and and I can tell you the other thing is people have been very cool about this once they realize what the book is about, about coming to me and saying, I've got information about this or I was there for this. Can I talk to you? And, and it's it's kind of been humbling because it's it's the book is not about me. It's about the legacy. And I just happen to be the guy telling the story. And it's it's been the people that have come out of the woodwork and have have uh, have contributed to this and to future books have been it's mind-blowing, and I, I, I can't say thank you enough to the people that are involved and the people that are reading it because the reviews and people that have been reading it early on, like you guys, you guys have been very sweet and, and very nice about everything that you, you've seen and that you, you kind of see where I'm going with it, and that makes me happy. Yeah, yeah. I, everyone, go and buy this book because I want to read the next book. So make it happen. <laughs> the book after that. <laughs> make it happen. We've got to keep, buy it. We've got to keep this going. How did the book get into Questlove's hands? Because we can't but, even get him to respond on Twitter. He doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't. He's denying he's, our yeah. existence. Uh, Questlove um, was uh, a friend of a friend, and uh, the friend, one of the guys who worked on the book, and he had an early version of it. And he showed him like three or four pages. I think he showed him mid-August of '83, which is when he's doing Computer Blue and the strings for, for that stuff. Uh. And, and uh, he showed him this, and Questlove's like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> and you know, and he's like, "This is the shit." I got it. You know, he was like so excited about this. And he said, how can I be involved? And I started talking to him about maybe even he publishes books, his his own books. And he said, maybe we could work together on something like this. And and it turned out that that didn't pan out. But he said, I would like to be attached in some way. Can I? And I asked him, would you like to write the forward? He said, absolutely. And then I didn't hear from him. And I I was (laughs) concerned, just like, you know, you're saying he's he's a busy, he's as hard as I guy. Questlove works harder. And finally, he sent me something. He said, here it is. And I, and I read it, and I didn't change a word. I was like, all right. And it is him talking about what he likes. And then I am you know, mentioned about it and stuff. But he's talking about he loves the process, the artistic process. And I thought, mm. he gets it. And he wrote on his Twitter that this is the book we've all been waiting for forever. And he goes out to three million people. Mm. And I'm thinking, wait a second here. That, this is nuts. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I'm just some, like I said, I'm some goofball fan. And because I, I, I go into this the whole time thinking in terms of, first of how lucky I am, because I am a goofball fan. I, I love this stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm documenting this stuff, but I'm doing it from a position of, God, I love this music. Yeah. You know, 
Yeah. It's not a position of, you know, I'm going to make money because I really don't expect to make anything for this. This is done. Books are done like this from your heart. It's you're telling, you're telling a story because you have to tell this story. And Questlove was great. And I actually didn't meet him until a few months ago. I met him. He was in Los Angeles doing something, and I met him. And we talked for like 10 minutes. But we've been in communication throughout this whole thing. And he's, he's just been the biggest cheerleader, the biggest fan. And I can't say enough things about him that, you know, anything I say would not express how I feel about him. Because his name on the cover gives me credibility. Because this guy's a musical scholar. Hmm. Teaches a course about Prince, you know. So this guy knows... And for him to get to read this thing and say, "I did not know this," or "I did not know that," mm. you know, it's, and he knows uh, a lot. <laughs> oh, he knows the guy. He not only knows it; he knows the people. Yep. So, <laughs> yeah, I think his name opened doors for me. I think that people said, "Oh, Questlove's working on this." Okay, well, I'll talk to you. And I think that helped a lot. So, yeah, that I think that that was uh, fortuitous. Well, hopefully, you know, when we put this interview out, Questlove can retweet. Peach and Black podcast <laughs> because he's we're just gonna ride on your success now. <laughs> that'd be that'd, that'd I hope, be nice. Yeah, I, I think that and he's and he's been honestly he's been great. I, I I don't even know what to say. He's just been one of these people that just championed this thing from the start, saw the potential, understood it, and opened doors. And there's certain people that really opened doors. He opened doors. Al Magnoli opened doors for me, and that kind of stuff. And when you get, when you have people that that get this. Because it's a big trust effort. You're you're asking people to yeah. trust you with their legacy, mm. and that's that's huge. Because a lot of these people have been screwed over by people writing books and doing. Mm. You know, we've all seen the TV shows that we're going. How do they get this guy to interview? Because they're saying you know horrible things about this person. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm an editor and a documentary maker. I know that you can screw with people, and just by changing the context. If you put a person's face smiling and you're talking about them committing a crime, it looks like he's happy he committed that crime. It's it's yeah. all in context. And and so yeah. I wanted to make sure that, first off, I told the truth. But second off, I want to make sure that with these people that they would still want to invite me back to their house. Because I want them to look at the book and go, yep, yeah, he may not have gotten everything right because he wasn't there. But he got 90% of it right and he can, and that that I, I still like the guy. That's important to me because I want to do more books. If I can do more books, I'd like to talk to these people. And the, and the stories for the second book are as cool as this. You know, there's there's stories about recording of um, uh, data bank and things like that. You're going, oh, I'm ready. I, I heard people tell me these, tell me these stories. I'm thinking, that's going to be great for book two. You know? Bring it on. Bring Captain's it on. Captain's salivating. He, he's completely salivating. <laughs> Good. But we've been well, just, in, two, been... in two years, I'll be doing another podcast with you. I'll be sitting yeah. there oh, there another podcast. Hopefully, it's sooner than that. Just don't put our name on the front page because then there'll be no credibility. Just a t- <laughs> <laughs> well, um, and, and yeah, I, I, I'm hoping, like I said, I hope that this book is well-received and that there's a chance I can do a second book because um, it's been a lot of fun and a lot of a lot of work. Oh, my God. My daughter, has, she was all excited. She's like a seven-year-old daughter. She's about to turn eight. And uh, she's like, I can't wait till you're done with this book so you can spend some time. And I was like, and yeah, I turned the book and she's like, yay. <laughs> and I was like, well, now I get to do the podcast, the press for it. Yeah, well, when you're done with that, what are you doing? <laughs> well, then I'll hopefully doing book signings. Oh, what are you doing after that? Uh, book two. 85, 86. Book two, book two. <laughs> <laughs> and she's so like, you... ah, I'll see you at my college graduation. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, yeah, exactly. You mentioned 85, 86, 87, 88, potentially covering yes. those years. Yes. Are there any 
eras beyond that, like in the 90s or in the 2000s or even the last couple of years that you personally are are really interested in documenting and writing about? And I asked the question because, you know, you mentioned I want to write the book or books that I'm personally interested in. Uh, well, I've, once I'm done with 85, 86, 87, 80, I'd love to write 81, 82 ah. because the controversy 1999 era the prequel. is really good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that I, I don't necessarily have to always go forward, hmm. but I would love to write his stuff on the 90s. I think the 90s, here's the thing. When I, was at, I, when I decided to do this book, I had a lot of people say, why are you writing a book about Purple Rain again? You know, other people have written about Purple Rain. It's been done. And I thought to myself, unless I can add new stuff to this, I don't want to do it. And I think I added a lot of new stuff to the. To yeah, the I mean, there's Purple been Rain. Purple Rain books, but nothing is like this. The way that's what I'm you came at it, there's nothing like this. There's so many other books, but it's not this. This is something else. Okay, well, good. That makes me happy. And <laughs> what I'd like to do, I would love to do the '90s and cover that because I think that he had a lot of valid stuff happen in the '90s. And the whole Warner Brothers thing is fascinating, the, that, that thing. Mm. I have to admit, his post-Warner Brothers career, some things I are great, some things I don't listen to as much. But I would love to do you know, kind of an overview of that stuff. I don't know how detailed I can get, but my passion, because of my time period, is the 80s. Mm. That doesn't mean that I don't appreciate the other stuff. And I, I think that there's a, a, a string of albums in the 90s that I really like. Wasn't a big fan of Graffiti Bridge as much. <gasps> To me, Graffiti Bridge was, I know, I know. It was, uh, I think, probably because we all had heard most of the songs. And by that point, it was it was an unreleased Greatest Hits. Mm. And I wasn't a big fan of the movie. Uh, I don't think there's a l- huge number of fans of the movie, really. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> I, I get that. And, and here, again, what I said is, just because I don't like something doesn't mean it shouldn't exist. I think that the cool thing is that it does exist. And there's albums that I don't like and people love. And there's albums people don't like that I love. I love news, and I have a lot of friends that can't stand news, you know. So Me. there's going to be the the fact that it all exists for all of us. I happen to like some of the Apollonia Six album, and I know four guys that don't like it. So there, <laughs> uh, it's, it's got its it's got its good parts, and yeah. And look, there's a couple of songs on it that I love. There's a couple of songs that I love, but I understood what you guys are saying. I get it. But there, you know, I know people that don't like the Carmen album, and that there's a couple of songs on there I like. So yeah. I know. I know, that's what I'm saying. You never know what you're going to like. If you ever get up to, like, October 2010, we can tell you what didn't happen. What didn't happen? <laughs> for, for two specific days in October 2010, yeah. Captain's talking about, yeah. 2010 deluxe, all these things that he told us were happening and that just didn't happen. The frustrating thing about being a fan of Prince is how many projects we thought were going to go through. Oh, he's doing a, a thing with Muhammad Ali. Fantastic. Oh, he's doing stuff with Miles Davis. Fantastic. All this stuff that we keep thinking is going to be great and just never ends up coming out because he, he'll – I think he got really excited about the beginning of projects and sometimes they would just peter off toward the end. Like there's that whole album with Chris Coleman and Tal Wilkenfeld. By the time it was recorded, he's already onto the next thing and it's just like in the vault. Forget it. This is the thing about Prince is that he has so many projects in the vault that drive us crazy because we all want to hear everything he's done. But he is somebody that just is – What's important today, he may come up with a thing on Monday and say, this is the most important thing I want to do. And then by Wednesday, he say, you know, well, I don't know what I was talking about Monday. This is the most important thing. And that's, <laughs> his B-sides were a, a big avenue for a lot of that stuff where he'd come out with a, a B-side because that was the thing he'd been working on right around then. Mm. You know, and, and it was like, not always, but there's times he's like, okay, I want to find a way to come out with new music even though I have to come out with the album that I've already done. 
Or the, the extended thing. A great example of that is the extended version of I Would Die For You. 31 minutes. Yeah. Well, you didn't do the whole thing, which, again, completist, we want every freaking note. <laughs> but he said, I don't want to come out with just a regular remix of the same song that has been in my vault now for a year and a half. I want to do something. So he brings the band together, and that's documented in the book. I have a whole session there talking about this. Brings the band together and says, okay, let's do it, and records it. And that's the kind of guy he was. He was like, my most contemporary music is the most important, no matter what it is. And he would kind of ignore some of his older stuff to get to his new stuff just because he thought that was the thing that expressed what he was at that moment. This is where I am. This is what I want you to hear. That other stuff was a younger guy. Ignore that. That guy didn't know what he was talking about. That's sort of how he was at times. As frustrating as that was, that was also exciting because we were constantly covered with new music. It was always a deluge of new music. And then, then Purple Rain, and then Around the World Day, and then Parade. And then he wants to come out with a three-CD set. And Warner Bros. said, whoa, 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 pal. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Chill, you know. And he's like, but no, no. But then there's Madhouse. you got to come out with that. And then this is the jam, <laughs> and I'm doing the Black Album. And they're like, oh, okay, okay. And so he's like, okay, well, maybe I'll do Camille. That's a way to get some stuff out. I don't even have to put my name on that. Mm. You know, that kind of stuff. And you're just sitting there going, God, the, okay. Or he has somebody around him saying, okay, you're going to be the head singer of this group. I, I am? I've never sang before. Yep. And here's <laughs> the songs already recorded. Uh, now you just got to go in the studio and replace me, which you can't <laughs> <Yeah>. do. <laughs> you can't do that. I want you to do every moan and every uh, every flirt I do in the yep, song. Exactly. Well, <laughs> nobody does that. That's him. <laughs> And clearly you're a massive fan. I mean, the way you're, you're even talking about, about his music and, and his, his relationship between his, his band members and, and even you as, an, as a listener of his and an admirer of his work. So there's all this information that you know and I'm sure you gathered during the process of collecting interviews, interacting with bandmates, etc. But what surprised you the most in putting this project together, whether it was about the people or about even the process of getting this done? Um, I, I could imagine you probably breathed a sigh of relief once it was over, but w was there a big surprise somewhere along the lines? I'm trying to think of surprises. Well, one of the surprises to me was kind of a novel surprise that he do was, and you might probably know this, some of this before, but it's really documented more in the book, is Sundays were his days when he'd be doing more religious songs. He would do God on Sunday, or he'd do the cross on Sunday, or he would do whatever it was that was the day he would reflect on, on some of his more religious things. And so oftentimes he would be recording that. Not that he was exclusively that, but Sunday would be more of the day he would be doing something like that. That was a, kind of a bit of a surprise to me. Um, another surprise is how many hours this guy worked. And just seeing that he was working until 5, 6 in the morning every night, and then back in the studio sometimes a couple hours later and thinking, where did you sleep? You know, when did you sleep? And um, the variety and the amount of songs he did was hmm. a surprise. And, and when I looked at how much he did, and I think I mentioned, you know, how much he did in the first five, six, seven months of 1984, when he's prepping for a tour, he's still recording all these different albums. And the Time album sounds nothing like the Family album, which sounds nothing like Sheila's album, which sounds nothing like the Apollonia 6 album, which sounds nothing like Purple Rain, which doesn't sound like Around the World in a Day. And you're going, oh, and during that time, songs for the Bangles. Oh, and during that time, songs for Sheena Easton. Okay. You just look at that and you're going, oh, and there's a bunch of B-sides. Oh, and there's a bunch of songs that never came out. And you just <laughs> look at this going, you could have a seven, eight, nine album set of just what he did in 1984. And it would all be different. And you just look at that going, how, how on earth does somebody do that? Your, your book yeah. goes a long way of documenting exactly how he did it. I mean, we may not know internally... Right. Uh, how he did it, what the 
you know, driving force behind everything. Although there is, there are parts of the book that kind of talk about that uh, and talk about yeah. what he was going through in his life, which again, you peer back behind the curtain a little bit and get to appreciate the human making all of sure. this, the human yeah. being that was ultimately, that, that's what he was. He was a remarkable musician, but a, but a human being at his core. What, what do you think he'd think of the book? I wrote it when he was alive. So I was hoping he would think that he didn't want to sue me. <laughs> yeah. That was my initial we always, thought. Was, we all had that thought. Yeah, yeah. we always say the, the litigious side of him I was always a bit concerned about. What I think he would think, first off, I think, well, I use a quote in the beginning of the book, but uh, somebody asked him if he'd ever write a book about his studio sessions. And I'll find you exactly what he said. Only if Dwayne does it, I think is what he said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that Darn, was he said that. Yeah, uh, no, he said, um, well, first off, the first quote I use by him is when he says, the music I make a lot of times is reflective of the life that I'm leading. So he's basically saying, my music can be traced back to what I'm doing, stuff like this. But he does talk about that the stuff is, to him, sacred. The stuff in the studio is sacred. He didn't want to do a book about his studio sessions. So I don't think he wanted to reflect back. But I think if he looked at it honestly, he would see that this is, he would be able to hear what the people thought of him that worked with him and that they truly loved him and they truly protected him. That was the other thing is these people protected him and allowed him to be prince. He could call them at two or three in the morning and most of the time they would show up and they would guard his privacy. There were people that didn't want to talk because they still protect his privacy. And these people loved him and not just loved him, loved him dearly. And even though they haven't worked with him for 20 years, still think of him as the greatest job they ever had and they still protect him. I think that he... He would see that kind of respect in there, and I would hope he'd be happy with, with the fact that the story was told truthfully and explaining why he was important. Because I think that sad that so many times artists like this get forgotten, and, and I think that that's the unfortunate thing is, is uh, you know, once an artist dies, you know, you need books about Miles Davis. You need books about James Brown. You need things like that to kind of tell who this person was, why they're important, and put it a little bit in historic perspective. Now, where can people get these books that you're talking about? <laughs> so let's let's talk about your book. Where can people find it? Where can people get the books that get you the most profit? <laughs> That's the question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they Where's can order the best for, place? You can order from, okay, uh, you can order through Amazon. Come over to your place. Yeah, um, Yeah. exactly. Come over to my place. I'll sell it to you. You can order through Amazon. It's uh, called, the, just so you know, I, we haven't mentioned the title of the book. Um Prince and the Purple Rain Era Studio Sessions, 1983-1984. Um, but it's on Amazon all around the world. I think down there in Australia, they just sell it as a... You guys are big on the e-books, aren't you? They sell a lot of things down yeah. there like that. But you can get the hardcover book mostly around the world in France and Germany and Canada and Japan starting on November 15th. Uh, I'm hoping to do some book signings uh, where I travel around, probably not out of the country, um, oh. but I hope to do some things here. I know. Well, if I, I've never been down to Australia. I want to. Uh, my my wife has spent time down there, but I've never been down. There. She spent some months down there, and I have. Some you could do. A, you could there. do a book about Prince's Australian studio sessions. You know, he recorded plenty of music when he was over here. He, what was it? The Studio Three Hundred One. That's is that it. Called? That's the I one. I think so. Yeah. He did some stuff down there. I know he did a number of things down there. Um, uh, I, I and he did. I, I want to say he did some of the. Uh, what was his? What was the movie he did that they used his his music for? Um, yeah, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. Yeah, yeah I think he did some of the stuff down there with yes. that as I recall um, yeah but uh, I, I don't think I'll be making it down to Australia anytime soon unfortunately but I will be selling books that are signed here that I can ship out um, I'm working on the details about that 
Uh, I've got a website that will be up in the next week or so. It's DwayneTudal.com. That's D-U-A-N-E. The last name is Tudal, T-U-D-A-H-L.com. And hopefully that will have information about purchasing a signed book from me that I will ship to you. Um, I'll personalize them, but I'll probably do a limited number of those books, so uh, they may run out fast. I don't know. Uh, or nobody will buy them. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and I'll have a box of books here that nobody wants. <laughs> and I'll be throwing them at people, telling them to get off my lawn. Um, Very much doubt a, that. <laughs> there's, um, I also have a Facebook group called Prince, Prince the Complete Studio Sessions Book Series that people can go there and and learn about more about this stuff that people talk about it and ask questions and i talk about things and and uh details and and articles and stuff like that that's kind of fun it's a little community that people is about almost five thousand people in that so i'm trying to make sure I, I i keep in touch with people and have a way of people asking me questions and people can look me up on facebook um i'm on facebook uh, Dwayne tudal right there and if they want to say hi and and also if uh, there's a discount coupons for the book that if somebody reaches out to me, I can get them a, a discount coupon for like 30 to 35% off. I don't know if they ship it around the world again. You guys shouldn't live down there. Um, <laughs> but if, if uh, that you can talk to the, to the publisher about that and, and see if you can work something out. I'm, I'm sure you guys are just used to paying, paying for shipping wherever oh, it is. Oh, yeah. Just because, Big time shipping. Oh, yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. We always look for the free shipping sign on on you know, <laughs> any online website. Try to find yeah. it. Well, maybe that's why you guys like the ebooks down there because yeah. you know, it's it's much easier to do. But I like I said, I like a book. I like a solid book that gives me weight. I like carrying it around. I like being able to thumb through it. I see all the books I've got on my shelf. I've got a bunch of Prince books here. Every one of them has post-its sticking out and highlighted parts. Hmm. And because uh, it's just, you know, you want to go back and reference it. You know, you hear a song and you go, oh, I want to hear about that again or... I just I like that stuff. I'm I'm a nerd like that. So yeah. Okay. So our final question for you is uh, a little bit of a cheeky one, and you can keep this short if you like. How did you hear about us? And do you have a favorite show of the Peach and Black podcast? Uh, you guys have a podcast? <laughs> that's live radio. <laughs> yeah, it's arguable. It is arguable <laughs> actually. Fantastic. So that's I a good point. Uh, how did I find out about you guys? Uh, you guys are here's the thing. Let me tell you guys about you guys. Just like a, as a writer works in a vacuum and they don't always know what people will like, you guys, people know about you. There, you guys, there's a there's people that really enjoy your shows. I enjoy your shows. I, I listen to many of your shows. And uh, my favorite shows, I really liked uh, the Purple Rain Deluxe one a lot. But I have to admit, I laughed probably the hardest listening to the Apollonia 6 review. Um, <laughs> because I just like listening to you guys be as honest and, and here's the thing people listening to this i doubt this is the first one they're going to listen to because they're not going to listen to me first they're going to listen to other ones but you guys there's an honesty to what you guys do and an integrity and a, a truthfulness and you guys don't always agree and that's part of the fun you know like I, one says you know oh this is the darkest song he's ever done and so wait why what that's not dark at all and then you guys go back and forth about this and and there's something fun about hearing you guys banter go back and forth and and then you guys are so freaking meticulous you know that minute 37 in this song you'll hear there's a, there's a jingle bell sound effect. i don't know where it came from but to me that makes me smile because what you're doing is you're doing what a bunch of us do and i can tell you guys are our fellow geeks and there's a saw a, a, a shorthand when you find somebody that speaks that language that you know that if we sat down for lunch 
we could be talking about all this stuff and be nerding out. We could have a nerd off because of all the stuff we, we know about this stuff. And, and there's, there's a, a charm about what you guys do. The, the thing that first attracted me to you guys was your artwork, which now I find out is by Rev. Yeah. <laughs> I understand. Yeah, because he, he's the he, – then it was very wise of you to have him doing your artwork because he has led me to you guys. And you guys have not just a half an hour, an hour long podcast. Your podcast will be three hours long, as we're finding out today. <laughs> you know, you, you, you guys want to know every detail. Uh, it takes as long as it takes. Yeah, well, this one, one of the reasons why I reached out to you guys when it came to this book is the first thing I thought about when it came to, you know, okay, what podcast can I talk to was Peach and Black because I thought these guys will get it. You know, obviously, when you're doing a book, you want good reviews. You want people who are, you know, you want to. I don't want to say stack the deck, but you want to. You want to find your audience and have them yeah. become advocates. And I thought, if if these guys hear about this and, and read it, they're gonna get it. They're gonna go, oh yeah, this is this is this is my jam. This and is the book. I kind of figured you guys. This is my toe jam. Um, <laughs> they, they would, you guys would get this. You guys would say. He's speaking my language. He's talking to me. He wrote this part for me because he's talking about specifics in there. And you know, one of the things that's cool is I went through and found the sound effects that he used and, and the albums that are the sound effects and talked about this is track five or, or in Pop Life. That isn't from that, that fight is actually from a sound effects library. And here's the two effects they used for that. Mm. Well, again, nerding out. That's what we enjoy. We like finding mm. that. Oh, that you mean that wasn't from his 1981 concert when he was booed off stage with the Stones? <laughs> no, that was from the you know. But we all hear these legends, and we so it's a great way to kind of correct a little history, add to it, and and give the people who were there a voice to tell their story. And I hope some of these people that I've interviewed write books because some of them have great stories to tell. But how I found you guys was their artwork, and then when I started listening to you guys. I had long commutes to work, and you guys kept me company in my metal box. So I was grateful. And you've done so many good shows that you know I could list specifics along the way. And and it just the fact that you guys wanted to interview me, I was thinking, hey, cool, <laughs> so, <laughs> this is gonna be fun, you know. And and uh, I I've often fantasized about what it'd be like to be on the panel of you guys just going through and doing the round, you know, for an album review. So if you're ever curious about that in the future and you want to have a, uh, a guest doing some of that, let me know. Cause I'll, I'll, Look, if I die, if I die first, you can take my spot. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> That's probably the only way anyone else is going to get on. <laughs> we'll do it around your grave. That'd be <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> Last one from me, just really quick. And this wasn't part of the questions, but I have to ask you this because you mentioned Toe Jam before. And the first thing I thought was, a few years back, this is a few years prior to Prince's passing, we found out that one of the rehearsal jams, I guess you'd call oh, it, yes. that he was playing or working on was actually called Toe Jam. There's a there's a song out there that's called toejam.mp3 or whatever. And we obviously don't know any more about it than that, other than we have a Toe Jam on our show and <laughs> Prince was aware of the Peach and Black podcast. See, that was around the same time as like Octopus something and yeah. I wish I had something to add to that. I don't, unfortunately. Well, if you get to that, if you get to those years of the kind of 2009... So we started the podcast in 2009, January wow. 2009. Wow. And we've been doing it since then. So if you ever get to the 2009 onwards era, it'll be it'll be interesting to... to you get, then you can start referencing us. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll the, look uh, for that. I will look for yeah, that. Yeah, the, the background. The thing, of that. Is, the thing of doing those those late years is going to be tough is because there really isn't as much Info. chronology. What I would like to here's what I would like to do, and, and if this would wrap things up, is as I said, I make a document. I make documentaries. What I would love to do is I would love to work on a big mega Prince documentary, kind of like the Beatles did one where it was like three nights on ABC years ago. Oh, the anthology. anthology yeah. yeah. Imagine one about Prince that was the anthology and that was about, you know, the first night would be about just him getting to the point of Purple Rain. So it's his rise. Second would be his biggest hit years with Warner and the last one would be his rebel years back when he was back to being a rebel. I think that would be an amazing documentary. Imagine that kind of access and that or doing a documentary about the the tours you know for for netflix where you take the love sexy tour and you just go and 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 follow you know what they did on that tour and then do the purple rain tour or do the nude tour whatever it was using footage they have and interviews with the people and stills but having not just a a one two-hour documentary make it a five-part documentary that kind of goes through the planning the execution and all the stuff involved. Now, to me, as a fan, that would be great. I don't know whether that would sell, but I would love to watch a show. I would watch a show called Inside Prince's Vault where they take a piece from Prince's Vault and we do an hour about it, whether it's a song that he never came out with and there's a video for it or prepping for a tour or whatever it is. I would be glued watching a Mm. show like Mm. that. Yeah. So, yeah, I you think know. you speak on behalf of Prince fans in general by saying that that's that's definitely the case. So what else? That's that's basically it. Okay. Uh, we've taken a lot of your time, but look, it's been fantastic. It just feels like talking to a, a fellow Prince fan, um, but just it someone is. who's it put is. in so much work. <laughs> but someone who's put in so much work into this. And you know, my final comment, I just want to put this out there and, and yeah. really put a spotlight on what you've done because you keep mentioning all these other people and Prince himself, and I don't disagree with that at all. The book clearly is about Prince and about everyone that was around him at the time. But you know, this book wouldn't exist without you. The, the book is only here because... Thank you've you. done all that. You did the work. You. you did the work. <laughs> did the work. You, but more than that, you made the connections. You've built the relationships with all these people. You've had them provide you not just facts, but open up to you. And, and somehow, you know, you've put it all in a blender and you've come out with this chronicle of arguably two of the most important years of this man's life and the lives of those people that were involved. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm imagining this has been not just a labor of love, but incredibly important and personal to you too. So hearing you talk about that and reading the book as well and listening to Prince's music in the background, which I was doing over the last couple of days, just creates this completely uh, unique experience. So thank you so much for doing that work. And for anyone out there, certainly... I mean, this is a no-brainer. You don't even really have to think about it twice if you're into Prince. This is me asking a question for this. If you guys had to do a, a blurb, on what you thought, let's say you were doing a review, like a one or two sentence review, how would you explain the book to somebody? It's funny. And, and you... having, having read it, and, have, and you know, how would you describe this book to somebody? And I'm curious what each one of you would say. So I actually have an Who answer. Does <laughs> <There you go. laughs> Who does that? Who does that? Yeah, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> you, <laughs> who does it? I know I, I said that the whole time. I know. I'm going to listen to this and go, God, I said that like 20 times. But who does it? Seriously. Yeah. Who does that? Nobody. Nobody does that. No so, one. Okay. Uh, it's funny you asked that question because I just texted myself a little summary while you were talking. It came to me and I don't know if this encapsulates the Purple Rain era specifically, but in a general sense, you know, his life was his work, mm-hmm. but this is a book that covers all that work. So in effect, this is a book about his life. 
that's the way I kind of look at it. And when I, like I said, I was really surprised when I went, opened the book and I started reading it. Yeah, I was kind of getting into it. But then all of a sudden I found myself entangled and wrapped and, and completely put into the place of all these characters and these people in this era. So that's the thing. This is a book as much about his, as li- his life as it is about his work. It's not just a transcription by any stretch. It's it's much, much bigger and greater than that. So that, that's my opinion, but I don't know what the other guys think. Anyone, anybody else? I'd probably say, I don't know if this is just the easy way out, but I'd say if you're a fan of Prince, you will be a fan of this book because it's just, I don't know how you could not be a fan of Prince and not be interested in reading this book and just wow. bring on volume two and three. That's all I want. <laughs> I'm ready. At forever until eternity. Yeah, that's for sure. Anybody else, or is there? I get everybody. Uh, just the way that you get sucked, like MC was saying, like you get sucked into the story. Like for most of the people around him, they're probably just thinking they've come in just to do their part or just part of their daily job, not realizing the the history that they're creating. So it's an amazing document of that. Thanks. There's a quote at the very end of the book that, to me, sums it all up. As Prince said, "All my life is in my records." Yeah. And that, to me is him basically saying, you, if you want to know me, listen to my music. And I, I, there's something about that, that this guy puts so much of himself in his music and so much of his soul. And I think that's why we all connect to him is because there's something intimate about our relationship with Prince that he's speaking to us on a level that we're not getting from Depeche Mode or that we're not getting <laughs> from somebody else. We're, you know, yeah. we, we're men without hats. <laughs> You're going to get the you know. Depeche Mode hate mail now. Send yeah. it to Dwayne to dial. Exactly, exactly. And you'll find me on Facebook. So yeah, yeah. mouth off to me there too. Um, but no, I think that there's a reason we get something from this is, is even if he's doing a live concert and doing it to an arena, we're connecting with him and we're part of that. And I, I think he fed on that and we fed on that. And there's just something that I think that's what we miss because certain artists may pass away and you go, oh, I'm going to miss them. But Certain artists pass away and take a part of you with them. Hmm. And I think that's what happened when Prince passed. We all remember that day. We all remember what we were doing, who we talked to, what we, everybody's phone was going off the hook that morning. Something universally we had. And, and, and we went from being a group of people who were always looking forward to what Prince was going to do and that there's the promise of the next tour or the next whatever. And we'd always look, you know, thinking, well, this could be amazing. Maybe he's coming down here. What is his new album? Is his new album going to be his best work ever, which Prince always said it was. <laughs> yeah. There was just that. We had that waiting for us. And there was it, the promise of Prince was always like the promise of Christmas. Didn't always pay off, but there was that promise that we were going to get something different and new and unique. And we were on for the ride. And knowing that it went from that to having no more of that hit us all in the gut. And I think something like this book is a way to kind of get something more out of what we already have. Right now we have, we used to have an infinite amount of possibilities. We are now down to a finite amount of possibilities. And we're now having to mine those possibilities and find the nuggets and find the stories and find the people and find the things that made it alive to us and find the reasons that made it important. And that's what we're doing now. And, and I think you guys are doing that when your reviews of the albums. You know, it, there's an integrity to the community right now about everybody wanting to be the truth. And I think that that's important to all of us. And I'm hoping this book does something to that that gives people a dose of the truth and gives people a chance to understand that he meant something to a lot of us and, and this music meant something to us. And here's why it meant something to him. And I think that's what I hope to get out of this. Fantastic. 
the the book is remarkable it is a really unique piece of work and it's been a lot of work and it's been a lot of fun talking to you Dwayne. uh we've really had a ball hope you hopefully you've enjoyed it as well I have. I loved it. I loved it. It was only half an hour long, right? Yeah. <laughs> after, after we'll try and edit it like down to half an hour. <laughs> and I've set a whole banquet up for you guys. I have a salad bar and everything, and nobody's showing up. I don't know what's going on. So. Oh, oh, yeah. Send it to Australia. <laughs> you, guys, you guys aren't local? Wait, what? If yeah. there's free shipping. Just, nobody just mentioned free, yeah, free yeah. shipping. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that, that's shipping. been great. Yeah. You know, I was thinking, guys, I, as much as I like your show, like, not love. Um, <laughs> no, I, as much as I really love your show, I would love to do a. Can I do a book sign? Uh, one book that I can sign and, and give to uh, somebody. No, I don't know how you want to work it. No. <laughs> okay, well, let's then, think about this. Good day, um, sir. <laughs> I said good day. But if you want to do something where I sign a book and and you can, you know, once it comes out, I can get it down to whoever it is. Hopefully, it's somebody in the states that likes your show. But I will happily get the book to whoever it is, wherever it is. That'd be great. The world. That'd be great. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't know who, I don't know how you guys would find that person. My goal is to get this book out there because I think people will enjoy it. I think people, once people read it, I think people will talk about it, and it's just a matter of getting it out there to people. I think it's important. I think people need to know this stuff, and and so yeah, I would love to send a book, and and get it to you guys. So that'd be I'd be happy to do that. Ah, uh, that's good. Cool. Awesome. Well, Sounds see, good. The thing yeah. with the book like this is, yes, you're gonna read it, but then then it doesn't just go back and sit on the shelf forever. Then it, always after that, it's like this reference that's always there. And you can always go back, you listen to a song, you go back and find it and look it up. So it's not just like a, a one-read book and you're done, right. like a lot of books. You're going to keep going back to this book. That's good. This is a book that you'll take out of the library and not return. <laughs> or you'll go out and buy it afterwards because you're like, I, I, I want to keep this book. And so I think this is one of these books. I don't know if you guys have The Vault. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, then you understand. Oh, yeah. How often do you go to that then? You go, oh, what happened to that? Oh, that's okay. How often do you go to princevault.com? You know, you, you go to that and, and you see what's there. I, I Those guys were very helpful with this book, by the way. They were very helpful with this book. Mm. Um, yeah, and a lot of those guys used, used A lot of those guys used to work for Uptown. Yep. Um, so, you know, Another great reference. Out, but, oh, yeah, Uptown. Was, yeah, exactly. You could look at those issues of Uptown. I still, I have all the ones and I still go back to them. And some of the information has been dated. You know, we've we've fixed things and and yeah. and you know, but at the time, it was about as as contemporary as you're going to get. Yeah. And so I, I like that kind of stuff. And and so I'm hoping people want to see this book as a as a reference book. I hope one day there a friend of mine said um, he can picture in the years in the future somebody saying, "When was that recorded?" Well, let's consult Tootall's book. That's and that's it. kind <laughs> of a, you know that's kind of a nice thought that 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 might happen. And there's you know just a lot of work that went into. So I'm hoping that people get out of it what I put into it and I hope that people like you said will go back and, and, and fold the page over or highlight things and say oh I want to hear this song again now or now I'm looking for that version of the song because he just referenced a version I don't have and here's he's talking about a song called that I've never heard before called um, Moral Majority and he's referencing parts to that Ooh, that I've never George heard Clinton. about and I'm, I'm what's fun to me is sometimes people will come to me afterwards and say you know I actually have that tape that you talk about that because I talk about the end of Crazy. sessions when you make the dub of a certain song. When you send the me. book, when you send the book, Dwayne, just send a couple of those tapes past. Oh, we yeah, will return them. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Piece of cake. But they've, they've, they've shown me a tape and it's been the same C60 that I mentioned in the, in the book. And I'm Whoa. like, that's the tape. Yeah, so that's kind of fun when I can actually see, you know, what was there and stuff like that. So I, I get a thrill out of knowing that certain songs, when they're recorded, what they were done and, and that, you know, 
oh, that's the backstory to that. Oh, that's who worked on that. Oh, that was the inspiration for that. You know, that kind of stuff to me is is exciting. So awesome. All right. Well, look, this has been this has been great. This has been absolutely fantastic. Great talking <laughs> to you guys for three hours. Yeah, you know. that's what we do. So well, no, and you do it well. Okay. okay. See you later. I'll talk bye. to you. Later. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. 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 bye.